Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz are back at it tonight, playing the San Antonio Spurs, trying to sweep the three-game series and series from them. Jazz were off last night, as were the Spurs, so everybody ought to be rested and ready to go tonight at 7 o'clock. Western Conference race is always changing. There's always something. Phoenix, the Suns, not an impressive win, but a win nonetheless. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland in overtime. I know what you're thinking, Cavs, that's... Bottom of the league, right? Bottom third, bottom quarter of the league. Not a good team in the East. Not going anywhere. And the Suns needed OT. Phoenix has had a good run here. They've been hot for a while. It's hard to keep that going forever, and especially get out on the road. So we'll see if they hit a bump in the road down the stretch here. I had kind of mentally adjusted to the Jazz being the two seed. And I don't know how ESPN does it or if it's even accurate, but they got that basketball percentage index, you know, figuring out the odds of each team to win each game and then rolling into what's going to happen over the last seven games or so here in the season. And they had the Jazz with a 53% chance to get the one seed and the Suns a 47% chance. But as we discussed yesterday, I, and I don't know if you want the one or the two seed. You know, at, at this point, they have the two best records in the league, and it doesn't look like anybody's going to catch them. The Clippers did win last night, grinding out a win over Toronto. Um, Denver's right there, you know, and you got the top of the East with Brooklyn and Philly, but it just doesn't look like any of those teams are going to catch the Jazz and the Suns. So they're not only playing for one and two in the West, they're playing for one and two in the entire NBA, which means a couple things here for the seeding. Um, you know, if you're two and you want home court against one, I get it. But that only matters if the Jazz and the Suns both make it to the conference final. That would be the only series where the Jazz would not have home court advantage. And they may not even meet, right? Either team or both could go out before then. And then there's the matchups. But again, we can't tell right now if the Jazz are one or two, who's going to be seven and eight, who's going to climb up to six, who might fall down. It's just it's too hard to know right now. So you can't possibly figure out which way the matchups are going to go and which way you'd prefer the Jazz to go. So you just keep watching and wondering, is Donovan Mitchell going to get healthy? And are the Jazz going to play their best basketball? They played pretty well, I thought, against the Spurs on Monday. And the Spurs were going back-to-back, coming off an overtime game at home, and that's a long trip. So this game's probably a little fair test, you know, schedule-wise. Uh, to see what the Jazz can do. And, of course, I know some of you, and probably with good reason, are a little concerned, yet this group of the Jazz is clicking and in rhythm. But when you reintroduce two guys, it doesn't always go smoothly, right? The Lakers reintroduced LeBron. It didn't go smoothly. They lost twice. So when will Mitchell and Conley be well enough to come back? They're both out for tonight's game. So... They keep missing games, and uh, these guys will just have to make it happen. Spurs are kind of a 500-ish team. The Nuggets on Friday figure to be a big test. We'll see if Conley or Mitchell are back for that. I kind of expect they won't be, but uh, it's too early to know that for sure right now. All right, well, there it is. Suns win, Clippers win, Jazz are off, Nuggets are off. It's kind of the state of the NBA. Uh, last night. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got uh, college football with uh, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. And we've also got to talk a little Utah Jazz with Matt Harpering. So that's all coming up in this hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll 
Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz are hosting the San Antonio Spurs tonight. Jazz are going for the sweep. 3-0. and I know the common logic is it's hard to beat a team three times in one season, but uh, this is a weird season, and we've already seen it happen. The Suns have already swept the Jazz. The Jazz have already swept the Grizzlies. Uh, the Jazz ought to be able to sweep the Spurs. This is a 500-ish team, and you know the the whole way the NBA has kind of morphed here uh, and the three-point shots become so important. I'm looking at you, Steph Curry. You did this. I know other other guys helped. Reggie Miller a little or maybe Steve Nash a little. But uh, you did this, Steph Curry. <laughs> I always think of the uh, that line, and at the time I didn't like it because everybody pronouncing the – the young athlete is the next greatest thing ever. It just rubs me the wrong way. But when Mark Jackson said his two shooters are going to be the best duo in the history of the NBA, he was right. And I don't want to dump on Clay Thompson, a guy who's had a 37-point quarter and a 60-point game and has won three championships. And I think every Jazz fan would go crazy if he ended up playing in Utah. That'd be awesome. So I don't want to dump on him. But honestly, isn't Steph Curry... And Clay Thompson, a little bit like Steph Curry and anybody. I mean, you know, the two brothers who have the most home runs in baseball history are Hank Aaron and his brother Tommy. <laughs> I suppose Barry Bonds, well, Barry's brother didn't play in the uh, in Major League Baseball. It's just like, you know, the night Wilt and I combined for 106 points. Hot Rod saying that, that was hilarious. Um, those Steph's that awesome. And he's just, he's changed the game. The Spurs haven't changed with it. They don't have the guys who have that skill set, so they do what they do best. And as a coach, you know, Popovich, hey, let's get my guys doing what they do best, so they shoot a lot of twos. But when they're not getting layups and dunks against Rudy, and they're shooting jumpers so they're not getting the free throw line, and they're 0 for 4 from 3, well, of course they're down by 17 at the half. Of course! Anyway. All right, so we talked a lot of jazz basketball with Matt Harpering. Uh, PK and I had him on in the show yesterday, and Matt will drop in a few last nights, uh, referring to the Monday night Spurs game. But a lot of what he has to say, uh, even though the standings have changed a little bit and all of that with another night's worth of games, uh, is big picture and still applies. Here's Matt Harpering with PK and I. Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. You know, Matt, Great. we always think people are smart. When they say things that we already believe. We're like, see, that person really gets it. And I was watching the game, and you started going on, hey, if you want health, home court, seating, well, of course you want it all, but if you pick one, health. Health is it. And PK and I immediately thought, Matt's really smart. So good work. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think it's pretty obvious, actually. I'm I'm a master of the obvious at times, but I I think – when you sit back and you kind of think about it, and I think every Jazz fan wants the number one seed, and you know I do as well, but it's it's really not what you really want when you when you sit back. It's you're just not going to have a chance in the playoffs unless you have a healthy team. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Obviously, you being the former player could answer this. The player mindset now with just a handful of games to go. Things can change, and they literally are changing from game to game, night to night, as far as the seeding. But as a player, 
on this Jazz team, if you were on this team, how much concern or care would you have about, oh, we're on this side of the bracket or that side of the bracket? How much does it matter? Um, you, you know, I, I, they're definitely looking at it every day in the locker room, right? I mean, there's matchups that you would rather stay away from if you could. Um, you know, I think there was just a couple years ago when the Jazz didn't look like they were going to get to Houston in the playoffs, and there was such a slim margin that they were going to get it, and then all of a sudden you get Houston in the playoffs. And that was the matchup that they didn't want. So you can't control it um, in the end, and you you, you got to try to control yourself, and that's winning and, and creating the habits that got you to this point. And you kind of got to let it just simmer down on the on the other side of your brain and say, you know what, whatever happens, happens. We're going to be prepared and um, – you know, you, you listen to these guys talk, and they all say the same thing. Well, if you're going to win it, you have to go through all of them anyways, and that's true. Um, but there is a side that you go in the locker room and you say, oof, we'd rather have this, this matchup than this one or this one. And um, Because let's, let's face it, the playoffs are about matchups, and some teams play well against other teams. It's, it's not about the record as much as uh, who matches well against you and, and vice versa. So, you know, there, there's definitely some looking at it, but – I think in the end with, you know, the sprint left of the season, I, I think the Jazz are focused on health, getting healthy, uh, obviously mainly Conley and, and Mitchell getting them back to a 100%. And then, you know, then you go from there. So I'm curious which teams you think the Jazz really should want to see and which teams they should not want to see. And it seems like it's really complicated because, although we know Jamal Murray's out, but aside from that, there seem to be a lot of star players who might be injured in the playoffs. I'm not clear how healthy right. LeBron and Kawhi are going to be. Who should the right. Jazz want and who should they not want? Well, and that's why you don't try to play it, because you don't know, because you really, you know, if, if the Lakers don't have LeBron and he's not healthy, well, that's a different Laker team, obviously. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard being out in the Clippers, if he's not healthy in the playoffs, obviously that's a different Clipper team. So you don't know, and so you, you play it. I mean, right now, a guy like Steph Curry, I mean, He's on fire. I mean, he was terrific last night, and they had a big win over New Orleans. But, um, you know, that could be, if you're the number one seed, that could be your playing game, or that could be your A seed. It could be the seventh seed. You don't know yet. Uh, Portland, you know, they had a bad loss last night uh, when they're trying to get out of the seventh seed. Um, you know, Denver obviously playing well. I think they're 9-2 and two since the injury now. But that, they have an MVP in Jokic. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think – you can get carried away with this stuff and looking at it, but in the end, I think the Jazz team, they're, they're built for sustained success in the, in the playoffs. I, I think they have the depth. They have the star power. They've proven it this year. And then you take it and you say, you know, they got to beat us too. So you don't really look at it too much, and you look at the, what the Jazz can do. And I'm a firm believer that the Jazz are playing their type of game, whether you know they're hitting threes like they did last night, they're moving the ball around, they're playing pressure defense. And they're getting in the you know the decision making is happening fast. They are such a tough team to beat. They have so many weapons on this team that uh, even you know if one or two guys struggle, there's a lot of people that can pick up the slack. So the three of us, we watch all the games. We obsess over everything. It's our job, and this is what we do, and we love it, and all that stuff. And a lot of folks don't do that. So where I'm going with this is involving Rudy Gobert. I mean, he is brilliant, and I believe you have to really, really watch him almost just about every game to understand all of his greatness. With that in mind, 
Do you believe he gets the respect that he deserves throughout the league? Because I don't. No, I, I'm in total agreement. Um, you know, I watch him play through maybe a different lens than probably other, some other people just because I was a player and I, I envisioned myself, wow, if I could ever have a guy like, you know, Gobert back there, unbelievable what the advantage is. He does so many things on the court, and we, we talk about his defense often. And, you know, he'll, he'll contest a shot, challenge a shot, then go get the rebound, and then maybe get a block shot on the same possession, right? I mean, he could do three, four different things on one separate possession. I've seen him guard multiple people uh, coming down the lane when it's a two-on-one. I've seen him guard both, both guys at once. Uh, there's just He's so unique. There's, there's really no one that could do what he does. Um, a lot of his stuff doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Uh, but one of the things that I that I really love watching is how he runs the court. And usually you just don't get big guys that are as motivated to run the court and transition, whether it's defensive transition or offensive transition. It, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun to watch as a, as a player. This guy has a great motor. And when you got a guy that's doing everything defensively and protecting the rim, and then he's also going to sprint the court and try to seal on the other end and then set a quick pick, uh, an up screen <clears throat> to get the offensive transition going. I mean, that's so valuable. It, it really is. And then he's a dunk lob threat all the time. So, you know, his health has been great this year. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it's going to stay great. But he's 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 a factor um, that, I, like you said, you watch him, I watch him. A lot of Jazz fans kind of watch him. But as he goes through, uh, he's getting better, in my opinion, and Quinn's done an amazing job with him. But he – he is off the chart defensively. I mean, historically good. So I, I'm of two minds here with the he doesn't get enough respect. I feel like individually, and he's a two-time defensive player of the year, and he's three right. times all NBA, and he's still in his 20s, so he's going to add to that. Uh, but I feel like where he doesn't get the respect is I don't feel like a lot of the um, national commentators, whether they're writing for web stuff or they're on TV or whatever, I don't feel like they think he can elevate a team to the championship level. It's like you need right. two wings who score 25 points a night. That's the recipe. Rudy's not that. So he's a great player, but then I'm going to dismiss him when I get into a championship conversation. Why is that? Well, I, I think – He's at a prove-me stage, right? I mean, it's great if you want to do this in the regular season, but now everyone's saying to Rudy and, and you know the national media and, and saying, well, okay, let's, let's prove in the playoffs. Let's get out of the first round. Let's go to the second round, get out of the second round, and, and see what happens. Does it work? Does having a, a, the, the defensive stopper and a guy like Rudy propel you to a finals? And, and can you win it all? And I think that's where maybe the national media is saying um, it's, it's, you know, regular season's one thing, playoffs and championships – or another, and so when I think of a lot of the national media talk, they talk about winning championships and what do you need uh, if you're going to win it all. And so I, I think that, uh, and that's just something Rudy just hasn't done yet. I mean, it is, he's young; he has, he's been in the playoffs quite a few times with early exits. So, um, you know, let's see what happens this year. I mean, I think he's ready for it. And I think the other thing is, you know, people like offensive numbers. They look at points and they say, oh, you know, 14 points a game. Well, that's not that good. Well. You know, when you're talking superstars, they like the, the 27 points a night and the 28, but that's just not his game. So they don't look at the overall game. They just look at the offensive part of it. And that's where I think, and my point was, you know, he doesn't get the respect in, in that way because he change, he challenges the game. He, he changes the game in a way that just like that 28-point a game guy does offensively, he does it the exact same thing defensively. So 
I think there needs to be, you know, more homework done on the defensive side of that. And then, you know, I've heard the national media talk about his contract and, you know, even Shaq said something and some other ex-NBA players say stuff like, oh, well, look what you can do, you know, if you just average these numbers. And, you know, that's just out of context. Not fair. Yeah, totally. That's what I was saying. That's the whole point. As far as health, is Conley's hammy your number one concern? Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly up there. Um, but uh, to me, number one concern is Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he, I, I think you you got to have Donovan in the playoffs. And, you know, obviously he's looking like he's coming back soon, hopefully. Um, but, you know, Donovan and Rudy are – you know, A and double A, and, and then obviously Conley's right there. You got to have your three three main guys, and those guys um, you got to have coming into the playoffs strong. For so, I, I think if they have to rest Conley, they got to rest Conley. But you certainly got to be a strong team heading in. You've probably had to play through some of these injuries, or had t- certainly you've had teammates who've had to. So I, I. And I don't have any medical inside info on Donovan, but having seen a lot of players with sprained ankles, you know, it'd be five weeks from when he got hurt to when he came to to when the playoffs start. So I assume he's going to be healthy, even if he has had or is having some kind of setback, you know, as he rehabs it, he hurts it. But the hamstring, I have never understood when hamstrings are healthy or when they go. So I guess that's why I'm stressing over that one a little more. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, tricky. Um, you know, Jazz fans remember Carlos Boozer and his hamstrings, and it was just they just kind of flare up, and you know, you're you're right at the verge, you feel it. Um, and you could have it tighten, and you don't know whether that's a sign of uh oh, is that going to pull or is that going to strain? And if it does pull or strain, then you're really in trouble. Um, so it's tricky. Um, you know, with ankles, look at look at uh, you know LeBron. You know, he came back and. He missed a ton of time with the ankle, and all of a sudden it just wasn't right still. And he's saying, I'm not healthy yet. So the ankles are, you know, all the injuries are different. You know, everyone, you know, one ankle strain is not the same as the next ankle strain. Mm. You know, one hamstring strain is not the same as the next. So you you just don't know until you walk in the shoes, and no one ever walks in the shoes of a player. Um, So it's tough because that's why the Jazz have a great medical staff, and you you trust what you got there. And, um, you know, injuries are part of the game. And it used to be you played, and if you were, you know, 80%, you go out there and play and give it your all. But, you know, I think they've gotten smarter. And I think over the years they've realized that that's not good because what happens is you're setting yourself up for another injury and something else happens. And um, and you don't want that to happen either. So I, I think they're – the way that it has progressed with injuries and, you know, just the, the medical breakthroughs and how the science behind it is just making the game and players smarter, I think it's better for the game. Assuming that they have their health and something that we all certainly want to have happen, and really for every team, and then let the chips fall where they may, but assuming the Jazz have their health, I'm looking at, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, obviously, and you could play well and still lose because there's some good teams out there. But if they've got their health, I think that the only thing that really would concern me as far as derailing them from winning an individual series would just be a team-wide shooting slump from three. Is there anything True. else there? Am I missing anything? Um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can get someone rolling, right, on the other team. You know, there's, there's quite the players that could, you know, get it going 40-50 in a playoff game, you know, look at Luca, Dame, 
you know, some of these guys, uh, stuff that can, can really get it going, that can carry a team. Can they do it through four games in a seven-game series? That, that's, that's very questionable. But they could get a couple wins for sure uh, just off star power. Uh, so you worry about that a little bit. Um, but I agree. I think in a seven-game series, uh, that's what's great about the seven games is usually – no, not usually, all the time. The best team wins. Um, and so you might have a night where you don't shoot well, but, you know, the the lull averages is what we like to say or I would say usually comes back in your fruition. You're not going to shoot terribly for an entire series um, when you're a good shooting team. So, you know, you might worry about a game or two, but um, – you know, this is where I think coaching is underrated too. And you go into a playoff matchup, coaches make adjustments, and I think the schemes, what goes on in playoffs, are, are very, very important. And I think Quinn, you know, Jazz got a good one there, so I think that that's an advantage on the on the advantage column. Um, you know, I want to go back to the injury thing that I was just talking about because there are there is a point when you know, and it, it might be, I don't know, game six or game seven of a playoff race where you do say, okay, now I, now I am going to play when I'm 85%, right? Because, uh, you know, we lose or go home in those types of situations. So I'm for the, you know, getting healthy, but then once it comes time, if you're going to win a championship and you're going, I think a lot of players and people around the nation would say, okay, now it's time to, to play through this one. So th- there's that too. I'm curious what you think about the Phoenix Suns because whatever Jazz fans and the local media around the Jazz looks at the national media and says, oh, they don't respect this about us, they don't like that, I think we do the same thing to the Suns. And I think both organizations have the same issue right now. It's what you said earlier about you got to show me, you got to prove it. If you haven't been partway down the path to the title, I don't trust you to all of a sudden go all the way down. Usually you have to learn hard lessons and lose playoff series along the way. Do you think right. that that holds true in this era with these two teams? You know, I, I do. Um, I think the, the same rhetoric goes with, with Phoenix. I, I don't think, you know, people around the league and, you know, even if you listen to some of these players talk, whether it's LeBron or you know, Kawhi or some of the players on other teams in, in the Eastern Conference as well, you know, when you've been there and you've done it, you're not worried about seeding. Uh, they're just like, okay, get me there, and then we'll figure it out because we've been there before. Um, guys, teams like Phoenix and Utah, I think they do need the home court. I think they do need the edge of having, you know, when things go wrong in a series that you, you know you got, you know, your fans behind you and you got, you got the extra game. Um but you're right, I, you know, Phoenix, they're young. You know, Aiden is very young. Booker hasn't really proven it in the playoffs. You know, Chris Paul has been up and down in the playoffs, but, you know, has never, you know, never won it. So, you know, Bridges, they, they're, they're very similar. They're good as a team, though. And so they can beat you with their team. And uh, I think they're underrated. I think you go in there and you say, okay, well, you know, even though they don't have the experience, I think they're well-coached. I think they have a good scheme. I think I like, you know, they, they play a certain way and it's going to be hard for them to lose because of the way they play. And it's much like the Jazz. So, Suns are good. There's no doubt about it. And big surprise yeah. team. As far as the Jazz, I give you two seed and full health. What percentage would you quickly sign off of it? Would it be like 80, 90, 100%? What would it be? Who's the seventh seed? I don't know. <laughs> I can't guarantee well, that. When you come up with that answer, I'll, I'll give you my answer. 
That's a, that's you even know, more difficult to determine on stuff. the ba- below than it is yeah. above. Well, I mean, you look at the Lakers; uh, they're a couple games out of the seventh seed. Um, you know that that's a big whoa, really. I mean, it's it, yeah, that's true. I mean, they're thirty-seven and twenty-eight. You know, Portland's thirty-six and twenty-nine. I mean, there's not a lot separating one game, and without LeBron, you know, Schroeder's in the protocol for ten, fourteen days, and so, you know. A lot of stuff can happen, but can you imagine, uh, you know, if the Jazz fall to two and the Lakers go to seven, a two-seven first-round matchup? Oh, man. So, so LeBron wants to fire whoever came up with this. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's minimizing tanking, and the only people who have been up so, upset so far are Mavericks and Lakers, who think they should right. be better than seven but are in danger of possibly finishing seventh. But I think it's yeah. minimizing tanking, and I get it's a mirage, and I get these teams aren't very good, and I get that they're probably not going anywhere in the postseason, probably going to be out real quick. But to the degree we don't have teams mailing it in and playing G League lineups right now, I like it. I totally agree. I, I'm all for it. And, you know, I think it's great for the league. It, it creates interest all the way down to the nth game. And not only that, if you're the Wizards right now and your fan base is, I mean, you're loving life right here and you're saying to yourself, wow, we, we have a real chance. I mean, we're coming on strong. We're in the 10th spot. Who wants to face us? We're one of the hottest teams in the league. Um, you know, I, I think in the matchups get really interesting. I mean, look at the West. The Spurs are in the 10th, you know, and you got the Grizz and Golden State. Does anyone want to face Golden State with Steph playing the way he's playing right now? And, you know, you got a young team with Memphis. Um, I don't think the Pelicans get in, so Zion's going to be out. But, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I, I find myself more um, involved this year as far as following other teams than I've been in the past because of this, the playing race. Well, Matt, as always, we appreciate it. And uh, when you dropped law of numbers instead of law of averages this year, I don't even know if you remember doing it, but for whatever reason, that cracked us up. We need the unintentional comedy. Keep it coming. We love it. Thank you. There's Matt Harbing with PK and I, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight as the Jazz hosts the Spurs. Game tips at 7, pregame at 6 here on the Zone Sports Network. When we come back, Ryan Abraham. Owner, publisher, uscfootball.com is here to talk Trojan football, spring football tour. USC plays Utah game six, halfway point of the season. Uh, I guess it's game four for them in the conference. Then they have a bye week and they go to Notre Dame. And then they play BYU the last game, Thanksgiving weekend, to wrap up the season. So Utes and Cougars, how good is USC? Honestly, it feels to me like USC's headed to 9-3. and three. If, if Slovis can't play all 12 games, they're going to be vulnerable, and they probably drop a game along the way anyway. So I think I think SC's in that 8-4, 10-2 range. I'll take 9-3. and three. I mean, this is a spring football tour. We've probably still got transfer portal news I don't know about, right? Uh, we certainly got injuries, but just how it feels. Now, how does it feel for Ryan Abraham? Well, we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Registration is now open for Skyhawk Sport Academy Summer Camps. 
Join them for an action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports camps at a location near you. Choose between soccer, flag, football, fueled by USA Football, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini-hawk camps, and more. Find program information and register today at www.skyhawks.com. Time to welcome in Ryan Abraham, owner and publisher of uscfootball.com. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, kind of a shame to wrap up uh, spring football, but it was nice to get a little bit of normalcy and uh, looking forward to what's going to happen this fall. And that is exactly what you fans are wondering. What is going to happen this fall? Is SC got a good recruiting class under its belt and all the uh, speculation about all the coaches is dying down? They're going to be able to focus on football and put together one of those legendary SC seasons or... Everything's unstable. The door's open. It's just up to Utah or ASU or UCLA or whoever to walk through it. I think the short answer is yes to all of that. But <laughs> I think there's a, they've done some good things in the offseason. I think bringing in Mike Bone, they've you know, realized some of the shortcomings uh, within the athletic department, especially the football team. They've bolstered the recruiting staff. They've made sure that Clay Helton brought in competent assistant coaches, not just familiar faces that they, he's worked with before. So I think everything around Clay Helton has been upgraded, and we saw uh, you know the spring football the last you know five weeks. It was a lot more physical than anything we had seen before. Uh, the roster is still pretty good. They lost seven guys from the team last year. You know, five got drafted and two signed as undrafted free agents. You know, so certainly losing some production, but there was it's a lot deeper of a spring roster than we've seen in a while, and the schedule's not that difficult. So everything's set up for like that legendary kind of run uh, that they made, you know, like after the 2016 season going to the Rose Bowl, that potentially could happen. But you also still have, you know, Clay Helton's running the show and there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, just around that. Is there going to be those, you know, classic USC just let down games where they lose games that they shouldn't. Uh, But the schedule in 2021 looks so much easier than the original 2021. There's no Alabama. Uh, You don't have Oregon. You don't have Washington. So, it's set up well for him to make some kind of run. Will they? That's a great question. Okay, so with spring ball being done, you can choose one Drake. Are you re- uh, re- uh, choosing defensive star Drake Jackson, offensive receiver star Drake London, or Drake the rapper? <laughs> well, for me, if it's personal, like, yeah, I'd like to have Drake the rapper have some concerts in my driveway or something. That'd be great. But I... <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, those are the two guys, if you're looking at, that were absolute studs and stars on both sides of the ball. And they've typically had a a deeper receiver group than I think they have this year. There's a lot of unproven talent. So I'm going to go with Drake London. He's been just a stud uh, out there. For Drake Jackson, I mean, he's amazing too. But they do have Corey Foreman coming in, the number one player who played with him in high school. Could sort of be the Drake Jackson replacement. I don't see the Drake London replacement right yet. So I'll go with Drake London. So watching a little bit of that uh, uh, spring game, I'm curious what you think of the battle for the backup quarterback slot. Obviously, we got a local guy here from Utah involved in this. I mean, Slovis is the guy, but if he goes down, does the whole season go up in smoke, or is there a chance that they could? St- they got enough talent. They got somebody who can step in and take over. Yeah, I, I would lean towards the, the going up at smoke side, but they, they had a veteran. Well, they had a couple of veterans. Uh, Matt Fink had eligibility to return. He decided to retire. You remember he had a good game against Utah in uh, 2019 when Slovis went down. So he's 
uh, moving on. I think he's still at USC getting his master's. And then they brought in Mo Hassan, who was put on scholarship last year, too. He was a transfer from Vanderbilt, actually won a game in the SEC. So there's some experience there, but he blew out his knee in that spring game. Uh, he looked actually pretty good. So now you're down to two true freshmen backup quarterbacks. You mentioned Jackson Dart, who's just been – he's the fan favorite for sure. Everyone loves his athleticism. He's got a great arm. Um, there just seems to be a lot of upside there. And it goes to show, I mean, he just wasn't on as many people's radar until uh, fall football happened for high school. Miller Moss didn't get the chance to play his senior year, so he didn't have that opportunity. But Jackson Dart took it, ran with it, and he has just been on a meteoric rise. Like, people love him around USC. So I think he's probably the fan favorite to be the backup. But I've, the practices I watch, it sort of went back and forth depending on the – on the day, I think, you know, we saw some upside from Dart. I, I think that, you know, we've, we've seen true freshmen come into this offense and do well. Um, we've seen guys come off the bench and do well. So I wouldn't, you know, because the schedule is not the most daunting, I think that they would have some success. But to, to make a run at, like, you know, winning the Pac-12 in the playoff, I think you're going to need Slovis to do that. But the, the local guy for you guys, Jackson Dart, he's definitely been a favorite, and he's looked good uh, from when I've seen him out there. So, interestingly, they get – what three transfers from Texas, where Sarkeesian was, he used to be or is, and obviously he used to be at SC. And uh, I think that the tight end kid's going to play, and then also the running back, uh, Keontae Ingram. Now they've got Carr and the other guy coming back too, but uh, Keontae Ingram is he going to vault to the top? And how good is he? Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting. They did, you know they just picked up their third uh, Texas transfer this off season, um, which is crazy. They you know they brought in the, the safety Damian Alford. Uh, you know they bring in Malcolm Epps, uh, the tight end you mentioned yesterday. He might be more of a receiver, but the guy that stood out to me was Keontae Ingram. He ran more of like a spread air rated kind of stuff uh, in high school, and then didn't really get to do that at Texas. Had some. Great moments there. They had some fumble issues, but he's come in and just brought a whole different vibe, I think, to the the running back room. That's been a little stale, just because it's been the same guys over and over. Marquis Step was a fan favorite. He ends up transferring out and goes to Nebraska. He gets hurt. He's out again. He's just someone that's been hard to keep on the field. I like Stephen Carr's look pretty good. Vavai Malatea is like a you know just a steady guy there. But Ingram comes in and brings something different to the table. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He, he had a 49-yard scamper after catching the ball in the the spring game, and just when you, if you just didn't know anyone's numbers and you just watched some practices, you'd like that guy looks like the starter, and that's what he did to me. So I don't know if that's you know any indication of what they were doing in the running back room before, but he's come in and definitely uh, provided a spark. I wouldn't be surprised if he's you know one of the you know top two you know one or two guys or whatever in that running back rotation. He's just Coming from outside, and, and that's a Texas connection with all the, the coaches that USC has from the state of Texas. You know, they, they get a guy like that that looks like he could be the starter. Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com, joining us. I, I'm just curious that you know the, 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 when you throw the ball the way SC does with the whole air raid influence and all that, the skilled players are going to get all the run anyway. They're going to get even more run in this. But there just seems to be plenty of stories written that – USC isn't good enough in the trenches, and they can be bullied and can be pushed around. Do you believe that? Yeah, I think that's the big. That was the big concern uh, last year. I mean, they didn't. They ran, they passed the ball very well. They did not run the ball well. There, like the, if you look at some of the advanced stats, the stuff rate. You know, where in the you know the first four yards, they usually attribute to the offensive line. All of those stats, USC was like some, one of the worst in the country. The short yard situation stuff. 
where you really just need to, you know, you're going to run and just need to bully somebody. And, you know, fans want you to be under center or eye formation. Like, you don't have to do that. You can still run these spread concepts and push people around up front. And USC hasn't been able to do that. And maybe the biggest concerning thing is USC's had a first-round draft pick from the offensive line the last two seasons in a row and still has had uh, you know troubles running the football. they got a deep offensive line room. I think there's 19 guys on scholarship, and they're probably still looking to bring in a, a transfer, maybe a ready-made left tackle that they can get from somewhere else. But it's, it's definitely a concern. They've mixed and matched a, a little bit. And, they, you know, they got four starters basically back uh, from last year. But it just hasn't seemed to, to get, you know, everything get put together. And then they brought in a, a more of a spread guy uh, in Clay McGuire, who's, you know, worked under the Mike Leach system and is familiar with the air raid. So I think that's probably two years overdue that you had a spread offensive line coach with your spread offense. But they're doing that now. And we'll see what, the, you know, what kind of fruit that, that bears. But I think he's got some good tape to watch all of these young guys and see – where they fit and then in the fall kind of put people in place and, and pick the five best guys. But yeah, it's, to me, that would be the biggest concern. I mean, if they got plenty of skill talent, you got Keen Slovis who's, you know, already a 2022 draft high projection guy, but they need to be able to block some people. From You can, you can run the spread offense and have guys open and throw in complete passes and stuff. But if you really want to be successful, you're going to have to run the ball when people know you're going to run the ball. And they just haven't been able to do that the last few years. Okay, and so you can argue that the spring game was a little bit of good news, bad news, and the offensive line being more the bad news. But the good news in the trenches, the defensive line, we already mentioned Drake Jackson. You spoke about Corey Foreman, who I believe is considered the nation's number one prospect, kind of a Thibodeau kid that we see at Oregon who will be a high draft choice this season. I'm hoping he actually actually opts out and prepares himself for the draft. No need to play for the Ducks this year, but that's my own personal <laughs> bias. And then I throw in guys like Tui Pelotu and uh, what's a Sikona and, and Lichtenstein. It looks like they're pretty well loaded up front defensively, though. Yeah, the, I like the defensive line. They brought in Vic Sooto, um last year, and he was a younger, a little less experienced assistant coach. I think only three years uh, working under Bronco Mendenhall, who he played for, and just he looks like he could play right now. He, I mean, I I don't think anyone on the team could beat him up. I mean, he's huge. He's always wearing like uh, you know tank tops and screaming sack, sack, sack. I mean, he brings so much energy, and it's just. You're like you like that kind of coach, but then can you really develop these guys? But these the, all the young guys look better. You mentioned Tuli Tuipelotu, his brother just got drafted yeah. uh, coming in, and he's just been an absolute beast out there. Someone was like a three star guy coming in. They was like, oh yeah, his brother's playing at USC. Man, uh, he's been great. And Jay Toya is another one, a freshman coming in. And when you see some of these young guys really, you know, impressing, um, I think you have to attribute that to. I mean, you know, pretty good recruiting, but also that the development they're getting and how the, you know, just uh, he, he's getting these guys to gel together. So I think Vic Soto's done a nice job. And you got a guy like Caleb Tremblay, who's a redshirt senior, you know, transferring out of the program, going to, to Tennessee. He probably would have played, but wasn't getting as much run as some of the young guys. I think that's a, you know, pretty good. You kind of attribute that to, man, you got you to gotta bring it just because you're senior doesn't mean you're going to play. So I think they, they're in a good direction with the, with the defensive line. And like you said, you know, Corey Foreman coming in is, Certainly going to help, but I, I like the way they've developed that. I think they've done a much better job developing those young defensive linemen than they have uh, the offensive line the last couple of years. Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com, joining us. So I don't want to overstate this. You know, USC has rivalries with Notre Dame and UCLA, 
But there's seven games on the home schedule. Utah visits on October 9th. BYU visits on November 27th. Given past results, USC losing in Pro Bowl a couple of years ago and several losses to Utah up, up, uh, up here, is there any juice for those games? How, how do USC fans look at those games? Yeah, I mean, I think less so for the BYU game. I mean, they were pretty upset uh, to, to lose that game going on the road. But, I mean, the Utah one is somewhat – I think that's where USC fans circle at all the time. I mean, they, I think if they played BYU more, you would get a little bit more of that. I, don't, I mean, there'll be some kind of revenge factor or whatever. But the, the Utah game, just because it's a, a divisional opponent, um, you've seen so many you know good games, and the home team has, has won a whole lot of those ones. Um, I think that's one that USC fans have, have circled. And, and Utah is one of the programs where you're like, oh, they, you know, lost quarterback, lost running back, lost a bunch of production. But you still know they're going to be great on the lines. Still, there's always going to be, you know, Kyle Whittingham is, uh, is just such a, such a great developer of talent. They always are able to kind of reload and do their kind of system and, and make it work and, and make it tough on teams. I think USC fans uh, realize that. So you can say, oh, Arizona State's on the rise or UCLA looks better. But, you know, I think USC fans, know that if you're going to win the South, it's got to go through uh, Utah. And, you know, winning the division for two years in a row, uh, I think that got a lot of Trojan fans' attention. So, I, yeah, I think that's the one, if you're going to talk about a Pac-12 South game, it's UCLA because of the, the rivalry and stuff. But the Utah one, I think, is the one they always look forward to because they you know, they know it's, it's really important as far as trying to win the Pac-12. So you talked about not having a receiver depth. We already talked about one receiver. How about Brew McCoy? Is he ready for a breakout? He is. You know, I think, uh, you know, coming back, transferring, you know, uh, into the program last year, we got to see him some. Um, you know, he missed some time for COVID stuff early in, in the spring. But I think he's pencil, penciled in as, like, the, the number two uh, guy right now. I mean, they got a lot of, of young receivers and, you know, the, the majority of that room are freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen. And you might see a guy like Kyle Ford, uh, who's coming off to, you know, his second ACL should be ready for the fall. I think he, you know, he's a former five-star guy like Brew McCoy. I think both those guys have the potential, but we've seen a lot more of, of Brew McCoy and, you know, he had a touchdown catch in the, uh, in the spring game. He's looked good. Katie Nixon's sort of the, um, X factor. I mean, you've seen him at Colorado. He just transfers to USC. He's been out there, but it's not been super consistent. I, I just want to see what he's able to do. But he's like the lone senior. Everyone else is freshmen and sophomores uh, in that room. And they just had Manier McLean uh, transfer out of the program. So one less body there. But it's uh, they've got some good guys. It's just which one is going to step up. They've Over the last few years, there's just been established players like the, the Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Browns. You guys have been around and you know what their their role is. I think there's a lot of guys who are just not sure what their role is going to be. Brew McCoy is one of them. But I would guess after Drake London, he's probably going to be the, the number two guy for Keaton Slovis. So we already mentioned Corey Foreman, who's expected to hit the ground running on the outside and just get to the quarterback all, often. And we'll see if he usually those types of players live up to their hype. So I'm expecting him to be really good, but sort of a two-parter question here is that I see in my reading and research, and I've started it on the Pac-12, particularly the South teams, because obviously that's where Utah is, that in recruiting they got, what, 14 guys that are either four or five star. And we heard just a couple years ago, man, they sucked in recruiting. So how'd they pull that off and then – which of these guys outside of Foreman do you think would have an immediate impact? Yeah, they uh, they they went from I think 64th uh, in the in the country in their national ranking for 
recruiting, which is, I mean, for USC to to be out of the top 15 is like a, it's crazy. I mean, to be 64th, there's just, we've never seen anything like that before. And they bump up, I end up finishing number seven in the composite rankings for 24-7. And I think a lot of it is like what we talked about at the top with, you know, bringing in Mike Bone, bringing in more support staff, bringing in better assistant coaches that would, you know, recruit full-time instead of being part-time guys. So I think that's the big reason why you saw so many, uh, you know, so you saw that recruiting class turn around a lot. And I think you got to look at the freshman quarterbacks just because we haven't seen a quarterback from USC make it throughout the entire season. So Jackson Dark, Miller Moss, one of those guys are probably going to be important and end up playing. I like Brandon Campbell a lot. He's uh, from Katy, Texas, uh, running back, 5'10", about 190 pounds. He's looked good out there along with the transfer uh, Ingram. So, and, you know, we, they're they're pretty thin at cornerback. So a guy like Sierra Wright from Loyola High School in L.A., we haven't seen him yet. He hasn't enrolled yet, but I mean, he's got the potential to come in and uh, and and make a splash. So I think there's some guys out there that you know have the potential to make a, a mark early. Um, some of them came in and enrolled early, so we got to see those guys. But like we saw Campbell and we saw Dart and we saw Moss. And some of the guys, I think you have to wait, you know, the summer when they come in. But they can get thin at spots, and if you if you know some of these true freshmen can contribute, I think they're going to be able to trust them and get them in there. But it's it's definitely. A much better recruiting class to, to pick from. You can get some guys that uh, can make an impact much more so than the, that 2020 class. Well, Ryan, we will talk to you again as the season gets closer. And if the Trojans aren't 5-0 and when they host Utah on October 9th, then uh, you know we'll be asking about Clay Hilton's job, job status. Because obviously <laughs> 4-1 and is unacceptable for the USC faithful. They're writing too big of checks. <laughs> You're right about that. Even five and zero, oh, they'll probably be complaining. So that's uh, <laughs> probably it, true. That's the season, man. Until something big happens, if they make the playoff or something, or you know, whatever. Like that's that's pretty much my day. Hearing about fans being upset with Clay Elton. Ryan, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks for having me on. There's Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com. We appreciate him coming on. Love having him on the show. And it's really applicable here this year with the Utes and the Cougars both going down to the Coliseum to play USC in Los Angeles. All right, when we come back, what is trending? The headlines are next. Stay with us. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Locked out of it's down the middle of the lane. Right hand hammer. Clarkson fires the three, hits. Oh, my. The net did not even move. I wasn't sure if it went in. I agree with you. I said it went in only because that was the reaction. Trent Forrest, pick and roll with favors. Double pick all the way to the rack. He packed it. Oh, Trent Forrest. Hello. How are you? I wanted to see his confidence level. I guess we're we're, we're seeing it right wow, now. That's a one foot jump right there. That's big time. The Utah Jazz back at it tonight with the San Antonio Spurs. PK, that was a pretty easy win Monday, but the Spurs are going back to back. You anticipating a better effort out of the Spurs or the Jazz are settling into a groove without Donovan Mitchell, without Mike Conley. They've adjusted to their new roles, whether it's Forrest playing or uh, Yang moving into the starting lineup or Joe. And so they're going to roll again tonight. Oh, Forrest is showing some gumption right there. Get it, Forrest Gump. I like it. I like it. Yeah, that's good. Little <laughs> well, I think play. there's something to be said, what you say there, is that the more you go without – the more comfortable you get, uh, you know, not so much Joe and and the and Bogey and those guys, but some of these other dudes that barely have gotten off the bench this season. Now, somebody like Forrest being the prime example, 
he's got to have a fair amount of confidence and because uh, Quinn Snyder has called on him. And under the circumstances, I think he's produced uh, pretty well. You know, you're not expecting a lot, obviously. So there's something to be said for that. So I think there's both going on. I would expect the Spurs, since they're now rested and all that stuff, to give a much better effort, and they're professionals too, and they know they got worked really bad, and they don't want to do it again, even though they're not going anywhere. And and Coach Pop is getting ready for the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Popovich reunion tour when the season's over with that hair of his. But I still think that they're going to be a much better uh, gave a much better performance tonight. But at the same time, sure, yeah, I'm expecting the Jazz to continue. There's a lot at stake right now. Why not uh, solidify? what you need to do to get no worse than second so then as you get to next week there's really not as much pressure you see what i'm saying there absolutely they need four wins they need to go four and three in their last seven games and you don't have to get it tonight but why not (laughs) get it tonight uh you ought to be favored you ought to be able to win here at home tonight the denver game that might be difficult uh, but the Houston game on Saturday shouldn't be. So worst-case scenario, you should have to go 2-2 two and two in your last four games. And if you put together a little three-game, well, it would be a longer win streak than that because they've already won a couple. But if you win the next three, uh, then you're really setting yourself up. Yeah. The only thing to focus on at that point is you or Phoenix for the one seed, which we should point out is the one seed for the entire tournament, not just for the Western Conference playoffs. I think what you say about solidifying the two-seed, that's also the second-best record in the NBA. So really, the only way you wouldn't have home court is if you saw the Suns in a conference final. And the way the West lines up, there's no guarantee that either, let alone both teams, will end up in conference finals. So I don't think the two-seed's that bad a spot to be. Neither do I. Tip-off tonight, 7 o'clock. Coverage starts at 6 o'clock with Jazz Game Night, the pregame show. Right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. DeAndre Ayton on the right baseline. Swings it out to Cam Johnson. Penetrating. And oh, first my. Cam time for Cam Johnson in traffic. Oh, my goodness. Middleton, by the way, has hit his last four shots. Giannis driving. Scores with a foul. Blew it right by Jeff Green, who bumped him. Around the zone pick. Drives. Behind the back, fall away, 15 foot, a right side, nothing but that for Lonzo Ball. Jacks it back to George, tees up the right wing three for the lead. Oh yeah, Oh George from downtown, and the Clippers have a 102-99 lead. Highlights from around the NBA with the emphasis going on the Suns in overtime, prevailing in Cleveland, 134-118. And the Clippers beating the Raptors 105-100. That was a real grind. That game was going back and forth in the fourth quarter. But the Clippers pull it out. They get the victory. So the Jazz and Suns tied for the top spot. Suns have the tiebreaker. Clippers are three and a half games behind the Jazz. And the Denver Nuggets are four back. They had the night off. PK, a little surprising to see the Suns in overtime with Cleveland. And what does that mean for tonight as they go back-to-back in Atlanta? Yeah, they did outscore them 20 to four in overtime. I was uh, following that game, and then you see the score in overtime. So beat them by 16. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's what happened. Uh, Cleveland only got four points. But sure, yeah, they did go overtime. Is it the same sim- scenario that we have with the Spurs on Sunday going overtime and then having to fly to Salt Lake? And in this case, they've got to fly to Atlanta. So maybe there's something there. Obviously, they're more talented though. Uh, but 
thing is, man, Chris Paul is playing huge minutes every game his age. And is that going to be a problem somewhere in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, the rest of the guys are a bunch of kids. Uh, Kaminsky's got some age on him. Sarge. But Camp Johnson and these guys, I mean, these the, most of these kids, too, are coming out after one year. So, uh, you know, they may have some NBA years on them. But chronologically, I mean, Devin Booker's like 25 years old. <laughs> it seemed like he's been in the league eight years. Yeah. I think he's, did he just turn 25 or is he 24? Because I thought I saw him earlier this year, he was 24. But oh. either way, he's still way young. I was listening to their game, oh. and they said he was 25. Man, I trust so. him, then. He probably had a birthday. So, the Suns, we'll see if they can pull it off tonight. In Atlanta, the Hawks are playing really well, 22-10 and 10 since their coaching change. Uh, they've, they've been a much better team under Nate McMillan and really picked up steam, so we'll see if they beat the Suns tonight. And that game starts an hour before the Jazz game, so it'll be... Halftime there by the time the Jazz tip off, and I'm sure on the broadcast, uh, both radio and TV will be updating you on how that's going and how things stand. A couple other uh, notes from the NBA. The Sacramento Kings beat the Thunder. Two teams going nowhere, but notable because DeLon Wright, the former Ute, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals, and 4 blocks. DeLon, look out. For a guy who, as you noted uh, a week ago or so when the Jazz were playing, he's he stayed in the league, but he's bounced around quite a bit. But that was, that was a heck of a stat line out of him. Granted, against a lousy team, but nonetheless. LaMelo Ball is back. 23 points for Charlotte. He's rolling, and the Hornets are winning. They beat Detroit 102-99. So, there you go. Uh, one other contender in the West, the Mavericks, took down the Miami Heat. Tim Hardaway Jr. going off for 36 points as the Mavericks win. 127-113. to 113. You read anything into a Bucks and Nets game for the pl- uh, playoffs? Is close to the playoffs or still regular season? You don't care. I can't say that I don't care, but I wouldn't read a whole lot into it. Steve Nash was talking about the lack of continuity, yeah, and clearly that's one of the issues. You know, I think the Nets, if they get beat this season in the postseason, so be it. But they still have next year, and if they win the title next year. It's, not as just as good as winning it this year, but still pretty doggone good because they've had a whole bunch of issues going back and forth. So I can see that they might have some continuity issues this year, but so what? If they're healthy and ready to go next year. Nets got 38 from Kyrie Irving and 32 from Kevin Durant, and obviously James Harden is still out. But they came up short. They lost to the Bucks, 124-118. Giannis Antetokounmpo going for 36 points and 12 boards. LeBron James, we talked about this a little yesterday. LeBron is out. Uh, He's out for the rest of the week here. He's going to miss the Thursday game with the Clippers. He's going to miss the Friday game in Portland. The right angle still bothering him, and they aren't saying anything. It's no guarantee he'll be back after missing those games. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. They're not saying, can LeBron just turn it on in the playoffs? Can the Lakers just readjust to him reentering the lineup in the playoffs? Because we are really getting down to it here, and he's not playing. I think that you adjust to LeBron. LeBron, He doesn't adjust to you. And so, yes, I think he can, but I don't know about his health. But I think if he's healthy, he he and them are dangerous. They've got seven games left. He's going to miss two of them, and they play the Suns on Sunday. So we'll see if he's back for that game. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag NFL. He's going to New York, and uh, he is a kid that's uh, probably going to struggle. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to start screaming. And uh, how well does he handle adversity? How well can he put up with the media and all the distractions? And why aren't you this and why aren't you that? And he can't go on. He can't get in front of the reporters and go, well, my offensive line's not very good. I really feel for this kid. He's going to get beat up, and we're going to find out how tough he is. you got to be tough as all get out on the inside to make it in this league. And uh, New York are toughing you up. That's Terry Bradshaw, the former Steeler quarterback, the longtime TV analyst, talking about Zach Wilson going to New York and the implication there, there's not going to be a good team around him. He's going to have to take the heat, even if the guys around him struggle. And clearly, Terry Bradshaw expects young quarterbacks to struggle as well. So, toughness, PK. What do you got? Sure. This stuff about the media, it's so overblown. What player washed out of the league because of the media? I just don't buy it. And the New York media? There is no such thing as the New York media compared to the media. It's the media. Everybody is national now. You can get on Zoom calls and all this stuff no matter where you are. So how would it be any different if he went wherever? I, I just don't buy it that much. It's there to an extent, but I don't think it's going to make or break somebody. Tell me about the talent around them. I'm really interested in that. They can make your life a lot easier. They can make your life a lot harder. Yeah, they went 2-14 and 14 last year. How about the kid they drafted out of SC in the first round, the offensive lineman? Are they going to boo him if he gets beat? I mean, it's a, it's, football's a team game here. and Sure, he's number two. But did Sam Darnold wash out of New York because of the media? Not that he did wash out. I mean, they decided to go in a different direction. But the media was the reason that they had to trade him and get Zach Wilson? I don't think so. Yeah, and I think to your point, it's not uh, it's not 2000 anymore. So many of the sources, the, the web-based sources are national, all the web, websites and all that. And you're not, it's not like they're waiting for you outside the locker room in a crush anymore. I don't know when that's going to happen again. Denver, yeah. yeah. Denver Broncos right tackle Jawan James suffered a season-ending Achilles tendon tear in a workout away from the team's facility, and it could allow the club to classify it as a non-football injury. The Broncos would then not be obligated to pay his $9.85 million guaranteed base salary for this coming season. If he's in a workout in a gym that isn't the Broncos gym and he tears the Achilles, I guess by the letter of the law you could do it, but what message would that send to every player in the league about the Bronco organization? Maybe it's worth the $10 million. It seems like if he was off, you know, I don't know what, skiing or skydiving or doing something crazy or wild or reckless, that'd be one thing. But if the guy is lifting weights and running sprints, it seems like that's, uh, maybe you can do it by the letter of the law they can get away with it, but that seems pretty rough. Uh, tell me when they get Aaron Rodgers. Oh, okay. Steelers offensive tackle Alejandro Villanueva signed a two-year $14 million deal, and he's going to jump inside the division to Baltimore to replace Orlando Brown Jr., was traded to Kansas City. Villanueva, a former, former Army Ranger. Two years, $14 million in Baltimore inside the division. And a division that's got a lot of good rivalry games and has – it's one of the better divisions in football. I don't know if it'll be the best. We'll have to see if that plays out. But 
If Cleveland and Cincinnati aren't terrible, if they're at least okay, that division gets a lot better. Why would Cleveland be terrible? I wouldn't think they would. I don't think last year was a one a one season wonder. It seems like they've turned a corner and they'll be good. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. throws. Swinging another one deep in the air into right center field. Trout all the way back to the wall and Meadows has done it again. He has two homers in his many at-bats against Rowan. This one's a three-run shot to blow the game open. A one pitch. Fastball swung on and hit well to center field. Retreating Robles at the wall. It's gone! The grandest of all home runs for Waskar Enoa to dead center field. He can't keep the smile off his face as he turns third to trot home. A grand slam and a 6-0 lead for the Braves. 3-2 pitch. Well hit the right field. And it is gone! Touch him all time. Charlie Blackman. A walk-off winner. Highlights from Major League Baseball started with Yankee fans serenading, sort of. No. The Astros. Wrong. That was Yan- That was New York media. <laughs> New York media. <laughs> the New York Post is really loud. Yankees beat the Astros. I'm you, that media is so harsh. Leave the Daily News out of this. The Yankees beat the Astros 7-3. The story, the... The quote-unquote sellout crowd, they had the max 10,000 that's allowed in Yankee Stadium right now. But everybody who was there said it sounded like they had 50,000 roaring. The Yankee fans still bitter about losing the ALCS to the Astros. So they let the Astros have it. And some of the guys like Altuve were part of that. But then there's some guys who were playing with other teams. And they got to hear it anyway, even though they weren't there a couple years ago. But whatever. Yankee fans went after them. And the Yankees won the game 7-3. to three. Read this sign. You cheated. <laughs> That's one of the ones I saw. <laughs> they had a bunch of signs there. Other highlights there. Dude, if if we're going to get the DH, are you convinced we're getting the DH? you think that was just a one-season deal? Is it a sign of things to come? Do we just have the last grand slam by a pitcher? How's this going to work out? Braves, we heard in the highlights there. The Braves beat the Nationals 6-1. I think they're going to go in that direction. I'm yeah. not for it, but I've accepted it, so yeah. go ahead and do it. I think it's ridiculous in the World Series to have different rules depending on the park. It's one of the dumber things I've ever heard of, But uh, so get on with it already. They're not going to take it away from the Americans, so just put it in the National and, and be done with it already. The big dogs in the National League West all getting beat. The Rockies beat the Giants 8-6. Charlie Blackman with a three-run homer. The Cubs knocked Clayton Kershaw out. His shortest start, 39 pitches, one inning. Four runs on four hits. He walked a couple. Cubs sweep a doubleheader, 7-1 and 4-3. And the Padres in another pitcher's duel. This time they lose, though. They get beat by the Pirates 2-1. So, the big three in the West all the going Giants down to split defeat. A double. Giants split. split a doubleheader. They they had they scored ten runs in the first inning of the first game. Metz ace Jacob Degrom scratched from his start 
After having issues getting loose in warm-ups, MRI showed inflammation in his right. Latissimus Dorsey. What is that? I think it's dorsi. Dorsi? Dorsi, it's a back muscle. Oh, back muscle. Well, there you go then. Pitching injuries, just the, the story everywhere. The Padres starter was on a pitch count. He was out after two innings. He's had issues, so... We're seeing that all over baseball. Kristen Yelich is back, though. And then he's gone, returning to the injured list after being activated for one game. He's got a back injury. so Had an MRI. They couldn't figure out what's wrong. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. Former college coach will join us to talk jazz at 8.30. You'll hear him on the jazz pregame halftime and postgame tonight. And Michael Lev covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. They're going to play the Utes and the Cougars this year. Get a spring football uh, tour update on the Wildcats. Are they two automatic W's for the local teams? We'll talk with Michael Lev coming up at 9 o'clock. Question of the day next right here. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 in the zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury hasn't. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac and Jerry Signer Cadillac today. Well, PK, we got multiple questions up, all drawing a lot of attention at DJ and PK. You can also hit us up on Twitter at David DJ James. Does Rudy Gobert really get the necessary credit? For how great he is. We talked about this a little bit with Matt Harpering. Um, Yeah, we did. And the answer is no. It's overwhelmingly no. It's it's not just no. It's resoundingly no. No. It's like Yankee fan no? No. Yeah, because when you look at uh, anybody's MVP projection, is he even... Let alone being a candidate. Is he even remotely in the discussion? Most folks say no, and I get it. Points are where it's at. And, yep. And if Jokic were to get it, that's fine. I mean, he's really good. And the, the we can analytic it, analytical it to death, if I can say it right. But we still, at, at the end of the day, yeah. look at points, rebounds, assists, those types of things. You know, screen assists. Yeah. We don't. There's, we don't, they don't have a box score for that. And so until they put, put all this stuff, you know, they added the plus minus, but you only use that if it's some, you're trying to make a point. And, and if you're not, then we just sort of overlook that, the plus minus thing. You know, Conley was a big deal to get him on the all-star team. And so, because he's, his stats aren't overwhelming. So let's put him on there for that. Okay, okay, fine. Go ahead. But Gobert, you know, this that one, and we go just as recently as the last game when he hustled back 
and the Spurs had like three times to drive into the lane and take shots, and all three times they said no, and Rudy shook his head no. Like, you, we know you're not going to do it. You're chicken because I'm here. The guy is phenomenal, and I don't think he gets his due because nobody outside of the jazz fan and the literal jazz media is watching him every night. And to appreciate the greatness, he must be seen on a game-by-game basis. He does get a lot of individual recognition with the two defensive players of the year and all NBA three times. But I think when it comes to the most important thing, which is winning in the playoffs, the Jazz aren't getting picked. I think they aren't getting picked because one of their two stars is defensive-oriented and doesn't have the stats you talk about. If he had the scoring numbers and was uh, offensive force with the ball that Jokic is, it would be a different story, I think. I can buy that to a large degree, yeah. But the offensive scoring numbers, I think even there he's underrated in that way because it's not like he's stiff offensively. I mean, he can't uh, do a lot of the things. He's shooting zero three-pointers mm-hmm. and and you know has a tendency to look a little awkward if he has to put the ball on the floor. Uh, so there's there's that type of stuff. I think we all understand that. But it's he's gotten way, way, way better. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, but but interestingly, one of the great greatest that is considered one of the greatest, Bill Russell averaged 15.1 points a game. Never once averaged 20. You got uh, I'm looking at it obviously 61.62. Uh, got a high of 18.9, uh, and he had a couple of 18s, but mostly it was 15 and 16. Now, he put up enormous rebound numbers. One year he <laughs> averaged 24.7 boards, and I can remember there was a we had a guy who was just an interesting odd duck, worked in a Tribune sports station, or uh, newsroom, and he he went to BYU. He had really long hair. I don't know what he was doing at BYU, but uh, and he had a thick, thick uh, Boston accent. So <laughs> he was bringing this stuff up, and this would have been in the '90s. And I said, "Well, the reason why they had all those tremendous rebounding numbers is because they couldn't shoot as well." <laughs> there were a lot of missed shots. Yeah. So there were a lot of rebounds I mean, to be grabbed. I think Bob Cousy never shot. Over 40%. I'd right. have to double-check that. No, but so, you're in the ballpark. In those days, you couldn't just call something up, right, in uh-huh. the 90s, way back in the dark ages. But we had these basketball reference books that the NBA would send out. You've seen them. I have. And they're real thick. And they're they include huge. every stat. And <laughs> so I noticed him over there going through these books, and he was trying to refute me. And he got real quiet. Because he found out it, it was true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wait, he's right? <sighs> so they never, uh, he could never refute me because they couldn't shoot to the level that they could shoot today. So there was way more rebounds to be had. And you look at Russell, his, three, his free throw percentage, uh, the highest he ever shot was 61%. He had a 56% career average. And he how many seasons he played? 10, 11, 12? He only shot over uh, 60% twice. But yet he gets so much run because they won in what? 
four or eight? How many teams were in the league then? Uh, eight? It was, it was a, I think it was a nine-team league, but it, I'd have to look it up. I mean, at the end, when he was winning at the end, by then it was going to 16 and 20 teams. And, and good for him. And at the end, uh, in 68-69, he averaged 9.9 points. Now, he still had the rebounding numbers, 19.3, and his career average rebounding is 22.5 boards a game. <laughs> so many rebounds to be had. And, and and I'm not downgrading Bill Russell by any stretch. Never saw him play, but obviously everybody who did said he was incredible. And way to go. He clearly was incredible. I love that quote he had. I've said it many times. He got so lucky. Everywhere he went, they won. And, and obviously he was being satirical because saying, well, I, I'm the reason why they won. Yeah, and I don't have any problem with that. I mean, gosh, in, in – uh, uh, 61 in the playoffs. He averaged 29.9 rebounds a game. <laughs> Just staggering numbers. In fact, every year in the playoffs, I'm looking at this, every year in the playoffs, he never, from 57 to 69, he never averaged less than 20 boards a game. <laughs> so if, make, a, make a big deal if somebody goes for 20-20 now. Yep. But if Rudy's going to get more credit, then there needs to be more postseason wins. Uh, you said it a million times, and it's true. The majority of your NBA rep is built in the postseason. There is some rep in the regular season, and we were talking yesterday, Carmelo Anthony's a top-ten scorer. He'll probably go to the Hall of Fame. and He will go to the Hall of Fame for the regular season. He will not go for the playoffs. He's never been to the—he's never won a championship and been to the finals. As the best player on a team, he led Denver to one conference final. Okay. So he's not going. Now, Gobert— Hasn't been to a conference final. He's been to the second round a couple times. There's going to have to be playoff success if he's going to build the rep anymore. I think he's ridden a dominant, defensive, regular season rep as far as you can. And he's, he's ridden it to something. If you're the two-time defensive player of the year, and you've been All-NBA three times, and you still got, I don't know, at least five, maybe ten more years left in the league, I mean, you're doing something right, and you're getting some recognition. But if you're hitting 10 threes or throwing, you know, flying through the lane and throwing down a bunch of dunks, you're going to get a lot more recognition than if your team turns the ball over, it's a two-on-two break, and you basically look at guys and they pass the ball or back up. We know the possession we're talking about, Monday night against the Spurs. And three different guys handled the ball and they finally shot like a 15 or 17-foot jumper and made it. But they wanted, nobody wanted any part of going to the rim. So he's having a huge impact, and people aren't going to talk about that. They're going to talk about Westbrook's triple-doubles, or they're going to talk about the big three in Brooklyn, you know, all scoring 20 or 30 points in a game. And if, yet, they ever, if they ever all play in a game. MVP consideration is based on zero production in the playoffs. That is true. Yeah, on paper, theoretically. It's not. The rep from the previous year will carry over. Well, oh, years, I would say. Yeah. Well, Malone won the MVP in 97 and 99, but he didn't win it in 98. But he had a better year in 98 than 97. But because of the finals in 97 and Jordan winning, they weren't going to give it to Carl again. So the playoffs carried over that year, regardless yeah, of Carl's e- regular season numbers. I'm not even talking about winning it. I'm, I don't think he's in enough of a discussion. You ask 100 out of 100 people, or a 1,000 out of a 1,000, or a million out of a million, yeah. <laughs> who, who would you take? The yoke man, 
Jokic or Gobert? Every single one of them. Oh, well, Jokic, obviously, scores more points, has more assists. He's just gonna, they're going to go right to that. So it's funny, we analytic like crazy, but yet we still hold on to this other stuff. Yep. That's been held on to forever. Moneyball is great for those who do it. But it's but not for the rest be, of us. Yeah, it's not going to impact the MVP <laughs> vote that much. <laughs> yeah, and I think it should. I think he should be. I mean, the guy just does so much, and really, and, and this is something that you just could not know unless you've been around him to an extent. And I've only been around him one time when it was just he and I. One time. And he wasn't even a, a starter. You know, I think he was bouncing back and forth between the minor league and, and the jazz at the time. But in that one time, to be able to feel his passion and sense it, has blown away to the point of coming back to you the next day and saying, man, this kid, this guy's, this guy, he's got such a drive here. And there's no way you can know that. Uh, now, I mean, he, he's likely to be known for uh, what igniting COVID in the league than he is for uh, winning. And, that, and, you're, and you're absolutely right, man. If they go to the NBA Finals and this boy, if they should win it, then he'd be showered with all this stuff. So I can't disagree with any of that. Well, that that moment will happen in the playoffs if they play enough playoff games. And everybody's watching the playoffs. Everybody isn't watching a random game on a Monday night when the Spurs decide that, I don't want this layup. You want this layup? I don't want this layup. You take you know. But if that happens in the playoffs at a key point, oh, my gosh. Everything in the playoffs is magnified. It all gets dissected and talked about. And the deeper you are in the playoffs where there's fewer games every day, you know, you do it in the first round, there's still four games in a day, and there's a lot of storylines. You do it in a conference final, there's only one game per day. And so that game is just picked apart and analyzed to no end. Yeah, that's all true. Uh, I wonder still if his value will be appreciated and we just go to scoring. Well, I think the I think you know the answer to that because – you're just thinking MVP, but go back to when you're talking about Bill Russell. When people talk about <clears throat> the greatest NBA player and the GOAT, you know, there's people sticking up for LeBron, who's you know, won four titles, and there's people saying, nah, it's still MJ, who's won six titles, and Bill Russell is sitting over there thinking, I won more championships than those guys combined. And I've heard him say it in interviews. He says, yeah, the league was smaller, but all the best players were in it. You know, as they expanded the league, they let more players in, but they're not letting in the best player in the world, the best player in the world is already in the league. Now, times have changed. The best players in the world are actually coming from all over the world. In that era, they came from the United States, period, end of story. I think that it's more about uh, the fact that players had no freedom of movement whatsoever. So if you won in 61, you're probably going to return most of the same guys in 62. So there's never an opportunity to be a change I mean, you look at these Celtic dudes and you look at their careers and they all say Boston, 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 Boston. (laughs) So I think that contributed to it also. But it takes zero away from what Bill Russell has accomplished. I mean, his accomplishments were legendary. 
And if Gobert, in terms of winning it and championships, can get anywhere near that, yeah, wow, it's amazing. And, and, and things have changed dramatically. And I wonder in 100 years from now, uh, it, when there's teams all over the planet, hmm. uh, if uh, people will uh, say, well, yeah, well, Jordan, I mean, he, there was only 30 teams in the league then. <laughs> so <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> There'll be 30 teams in NBA Europe, 30 teams in NBA Asia, 30 teams in NBA North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, sure. I mean, he played. When when Jordan played, the only players in the league came from planet Earth. So, come on. <laughs> All the Martians have more hops. Well, it's gravity. It's not fair. Well, there might be a time where people get on a ship and, and – Go to the new land and. and... <laughs> the new land. What is this? You ever see Waterworld with Kevin Costner and Patrick Kinahan? I mean, Patrick Kincaid? <laughs> it was a bust. New land! <laughs> so, who knows what. Smokers! <laughs> All right, I'll stop. What we got going on. But I just, I just really appreciate game after game. And he's one of these dudes, too. That uh, you know, you, everybody likes the old school. Well, Stockton wouldn't have sat out with uh, a broken leg and uh, three three broken clavicles, even though that's uh, one more than you can have. Uh, you know, there's no way those guys sit out. Uh, if she, you think uh, Malone Malone would have sat out with COVID, you got to be kidding yourself, <laughs> right? Uh, Gobert has that in him too. I don't, I don't think he's interested in sitting out. Uh, he's had some injuries that have shortened some seasons, but he's had some 81, 81, 82. We all remember him, you know, getting people falling into him, and then he misses 20 games a couple times. 20, yeah, 21 like year, 25 another. He's like an offensive lineman in that way. Getting rolled up on, yeah. Being, you know, with the legs being so long and all that stuff. He's only missed so, one game this year. And yeah, last year, set him out. last year he might have missed – Three or four. Uh, and some of that was the bubble at the end. They sat guys for a game or two at the end. So, Yeah, so he's got that going on. There's a lot that he brings that go towards winning. And you can't compare him yet by any stretch to Bill Russell. But from what I gather, statistically, and what people say, Russell's impact went far beyond statistics. It went directly to being tied to winning. And I really believe that in the NBA, winning is where it's at. And Carmelo Anthony, sure, top 10, that's very impressive. And nobody really wants to bag on him because, you know, he had some emotional immaturity issues when he was coming into the league. But I don't think he's had any in a number of years, right? So he's coming off as a a decent dude. Uh, and so it's more of a, yeah, he's top 10, but just sort of whisper, yeah, but did his teams ever really win? And I just saw this morning now they're saying that Stotts is going to be uh, on the hot seat unless the Trailblazers make a big run because he's been there nine years, and so, you know, it's time to get on the merry-go-round. Uh, so uh, he point being that Carmelo probably ain't going to win anything in Portland either. As far as the Facebook responses, uh, there's it's <laughs> jazz fans are convinced that jazz players don't get uh, don't get enough pub. Um, 
So that does any jazz player, Jay says, this has been the story forever. No, it hasn't been. No, Malone got two MVPs, and Stockton and Malone were on the dream team in 92, and they both right. got back on the Olympic team in 96. So there was When they were ton, much older, yeah. Yeah, there was a ton of individual recognition. I mean, making an Olympic team is a, is a big deal, but it was a bigger deal then than it is now. That was fresh. Yes. I think Obviously that, in 92. Yes. I think that listener might be a little bit young if they're not remembering yeah. that. And and Boozer and D. Will both made. I was going to say team oh, wait. Too. Yeah. So. And O'Kerr made the Turkish team, didn't he? <laughs> Thanks, PK. Yes. <laughs> Joe Ingles made the Australian team. Yeah, he's made it uh, multiple times. Mm-hmm. And go Boomers. Three or four times, however many times they've had it since he's been basically eligible, I guess. Aaron says, I didn't know credit was necessary to playing basketball. Maybe he should call Siegfried and Jensen so he can get the credit he's entitled to. <laughs> you got to have an accident there. And Other, that's the great thing. Yeah. Gobert didn't get to where he is by accident. <laughs> you see how I tied that together? That was beautiful. Beautiful, <laughs> PK. Which is funny. We'll end with this. Um Jonathan, Jonathan and Justin going back and forth. It starts with Jonathan saying, no, he doesn't get the credit. Also, what is up with PK sounding like he just rolled out of bed every morning? Do better, exclamation point. We literally have no other options for local sports radio. And Justin goes back at him. Nope, he doesn't get the credit. And it sounds like PK doesn't either. PK, don't pay attention to this nonsense. Thanks for all you do for the sports community. Well, I'm me, so (laughs) I'm going to be a lightning rod. And, yes, I am simply known as the only option. <sighs> uh, roll out of bed. What are the half options? The, half the time I come back from uh, the gym. Roll out, about roll out of bed. Roll out of bed or uh, <clears throat> up all night, wrapping up a late night. Uh, I rarely have a late night. We have to get up so early. But a lot of times here, I've I've been hitting the gym at five thirty. I I can I can have people testify to seeing me at the gym at five thirty a.m. Get the blood pumping. Well, it's time to get going, and we've been in this pattern now for freaking nineteen plus years. <laughs> <laughs> DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The Zone coming up. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst and former college coach, is going to join us, and also two-part question of the day. We're doing our spring football tour. we got Michael Lev covering the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. BYU plays Arizona in the season opener. Obviously, Utah plays Arizona annually in the, uh, in the Pac-12 South. So they're going to play two local teams here. Uh, also, nationally, we're seeing the preseason top 25s come out. Some mention Utah, but one high-profile one does not. Why not? And we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Is Aaron Rodgers a draw for you? Uh, I like to watch Aaron Rodgers play the game. Oh, yes, I do. He's not intriguing to me at all. You know, the Hail Mary passes. He's an entertaining quarterback to watch. I will watch the Packers when they play. And yes, I am softening up to him because I'd like to see him in a Broncos game. This is what it's about. You're softening up Aaron Rodgers because if he does end up Denver, you don't want it to be like that buddy that tears apart this guy's ex-girlfriend or, you know, he's separated from his wife. Oh, she's 
horrible anyways. And then they get back together. It's like, oh, this is awkward. I want that marriage to be broken up, and I want her to be in my house. Man. It's not a great way to say that. No, I, it's not. That didn't sound right. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. So the preseason top 25 polls, the post-spring preseason, there'll be another one in the, in the fall camps and all that. Uh, but national websites... Coming out with their preseason top 25s. And PK, you were perusing ESPN.com and their post-spring preseason top 25. And what did you find to your shock and dismay? Yeah, I, the, the Utes were not in there. You know, I expected that they would be in there. I expected they would be in there ahead of uh, ASU. And I think they had ASU like 24, 25, somewhere in that vicinity. Have to double check and click on it. You can do that. Uh, I know that SC, uh, Washington, and Oregon are going to be in there. I believe that those three will be in the regular, the whatever the I guess it's an AP is that the official preseason top twenty-five. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. one that gets the most run. And I think that they'll they, those teams will be in there. Washington returns virtually everyone. Uh, I mean, literally, they have so many returners. Uh, starters I'm speaking of, and then obviously some reserves. And Jimmy Lake would be in his second season, if you count last year as a season. Obviously, it wasn't a full season. So they look to be loaded. Oregon's Oregon. And SC, you know, they've got a lot of talent sprinkled throughout the roster. Uh, And it's an easy go-to option when you think of football out west is you just naturally are attracted to SC. And and the Devils have a bunch of guys. Uh, he, he he Herm got guys to not go to the NFL, or they could have just stopped playing, but they opted to stay. So they've got particularly on defense a lot of returners, and plus he's Herm, and there's not a soul on this planet who doesn't like Herm, right? Hmm. So he's going to draw some attention. I'm, I'm I'm fine with all those, but I was surprised that the dreaded. The arch rival, Coastal Carolina, was in there, mm-hmm. and Utah wasn't. And Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, was in there. Were in there, and the Utes weren't. So, because I think the Utes are right there in the South. I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen uh, as far as who's going to win the North. But right now, anyway, and that obviously. It's subject to substantial change that the North team, when we get to the final, what's it in Vegas this year, is going to be favored again. So I think the North, top to bottom, is stronger. But the South, I think the Utes are going to be right there. So I was surprised that they weren't picked. So I checked the uh, athletic top 25 and Stuart Mandel did there so it's a it's one person responsible for this I was stunned he didn't have Washington in his preseason top 25 that surprised me a lot he had Oregon at 10 but he didn't have Washington in there and he didn't have USC in there but he had Utah and ASU at 22 and 23 I think what's happening with Utah is 
and this really goes back to the Rudy Gobert discussion. You look at Utah's offense, who do they have back as skill players? <clears throat> and basically you got a slot receiver who has been hurt on and off throughout his career and a tight end who looks pretty good. But you don't have wide receivers, you don't have a running back, you don't have a quarterback. Now you can argue that although they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, because he's a transfer with all this high-end experience and some really good seasons at Baylor, that Utah ought to be marked up this year, not getting marked down for that. But I think people just look at Utah's offense, and if if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, then you put them in at 22. But if you look at the offense and think, I just don't see it, then you leave them out. So you have no respect for Solomon Enos then, huh? Nope. I don't think nationally there's any respect for Solomon Enos. I think people who follow the program are desperately hoping that he, you know, uh, cashes in on all this potential that we think is there. Uh, there have been glimpses. There were certainly hype when he came, and there have been glimpses when he's been here. And now, you know, be the guy and, and go crazy. But a lot of these, in Coastal Carolina is an interesting thing you bring up. A lot of these, um, a lot of these teams, it's just going to be a, a very unusual year. Last year was a very unusual year. And now you're going to have teams where their first or second year players breaking out because it's, it's time for them to break out. But in some cases, we really didn't get to see them last year. If teams are only playing four, six, eight games, maybe they didn't really make the impact and we didn't get to see it. But you've also got super seniors. So if you have a lot of good players, but they're not clearly NFL guys, you can have more returners than ever. Coastal Carolina is going to have 20 starters back. You know, it's not typically a team that's going to be sending – five guys off to the NFL like BYU did or, you know, six or eight or ten like, you know, a lot of Power Five teams, you know, the better Power Five teams do. The better Power Five teams are getting hit by graduation or pro eligibility just like they normally are because Alabama's going to send ten guys to the NFL. But Coastal isn't going to do that, so these guys are going to, well, I'm going to play one more year of college football then. So I think a lot of these uh, group of five or even um, – Power five teams, they don't have the rep. I think Iowa State is like 10 offensive starters back or something like that. So teams are going to be loaded in a way they haven't been loaded because you don't have the guys graduating who are out of college eligibility uh, but aren't NFL guys. Those guys, they got a bonus year of college eligibility. They're back. And I think that's going to, that's going to mess with the landscape a little bit. There's going to be a lot of 60 year guys we haven't seen in the past. Yeah, I don't know how many of those guys are out there, though. I'd have to double-check. I really have no idea how many guys, 60-year guys, decided to return. Here's one. Uh, Liberty is at 18th in this uh, uh, the athletic thing that Stuart Mandel did. A whopping 16 seniors from last year's breakout 10-1 team opted to use their free year. Well, okay, but I'm talking about in the Pac-12. I mm-hmm. understand those because they're not going to be the NFL, NFL guys. Right. But the thing about Utah is so – uh, I'm not going to put them in the top 25 because they don't have a a breakout receiver. Well, they've never had it since they've yeah. been Pac-12, and they've been in but, the top 25. So why sure, would but I they have an NFL running one? back returning, you know, and they don't have that. I think it's they, accumulation. They, I, can argue have, they have the, I, I can argue they have the best record, quarterback they've had returning. Now he's yep. not returning, but he's right. returning to play exactly. football. It's a, it's a weird deal with him. But I think also some teams that are borderline are getting pushed out of the top 25 because they're ranking the Louisianas and the Liberties and the Coastal Carolinas because they're bringing back 20 starters because they don't send guys to the NFL and all the seniors were given a bonus year. 
Okay, but the Utes are bringing back every starter themselves. Would right. you rather have every Ute starter coming back on defense or every one of Liberty's defensive starters coming back? I, well, I just being a biased snob, we would <laughs> go with Utah. Utah, right? Uh, Utah, thank you. Where are we broadcasting? Utah. Yeah, yeah. But, but it is weird that some of these, like, how does Washington get left out of a top 25? I mean, didn't you find that surprising? I did. That they're not in? So, but they are putting these teams in that aren't normally in, and somebody's got to be squeezed out. So, turns out it was Washington. I'm not going to take it. Sweet, PK. Draw a line in the sand. I've already drawn three this morning. Excellent. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, will join us at 8.30. Michael Love covers the Arizona Wildcats. He's here at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. DJ PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When Zero Res cleans the carpets and tile, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, PK, we're getting a lot of reaction to our discussion in the last segment about the Utes and should they be in the preseason top 25 uh, Brad says they're finally releasing how overrated Utah is. They keep getting beat by really good teams like Oregon and Texas. Utah just thinks they are a good team. Todd says, I'd take Utah. I would take Utah over 10 of those teams. Go Cougars. Well, Utah thinks they're uh, just a Utah thinks they're a good team and 2 years ago apparently the NFL might have thought that too. I think with uh, all the guys getting drafted. drafted. Yeah, sort of, because we always point to the SEC and 87 Alabama guys went in the most recent draft and all that stuff, and and they just keep rolling out the number of prospects that are, uh, speaking of prospects, I mean NFL prospects. I mean, it's one right after another. And it's scary now because they're all at, uh, not all, but they're a lot more at skill positions. You know, Alabama with the quarterbacks. It used to be those guys, those conferences didn't produce quarterbacks. It's the Pac-10, Pac-12. And now those guys, Ohio State, starting to produce those guys. So their offenses are getting even more prolific. You know, the three yards in the cloud of dust of the Woody Hayes days are long, long gone. So the gap between us and them is even wider now as they could produce positions that we used to be able to produce on a more consistent basis. They've uh, cornered that market, so it's scary. But you separate them, and then I really believe as a football program, you know, not an individual team from year to year, but as a program, the Utes belong in that next tier. Maybe they don't belong at the top of that next tier, but I believe they belong in the discussion of the next tier. Yeah, I can see all of that, and you're right about the NFL picks and all that. Um, so what it comes down to is, you know, Nick and Nick Saban has talked about this, that he made a decision that he was done trying to win games, you know, 9-6 to six and 10 to nothing and 13-9 to nine because he was into get a power back, you know, Get, get a, uh, a 240-pound guy who had some speed and run him 30 times a game. And quarterback, uh, just have someone who was okay. And he decided... Get the job done. Yeah, and he decided, no, we have to be ready to go play uh, a game and score 35, 45 points to win a game and, and be able to win something that's really, you know, a high-scoring shootout. And, 
and go out, score people if necessary. And he hasn't completely given up on defense. There's just an acknowledgement you're not going to win 17-10. to 10. And that has <laughs> taken Alabama into the 21st century. And I just think for the Utes, the question is, and this is probably in the preseason poll, it's, it's probably the single biggest thing. And that probably isn't fair because it usually comes down to more than one thing. But is Brewer going to be a quarterback unlike anything Kyle Whittingham has seen or, or had? I mean, Tyler Huntley was a huge leap forward. What he did, his junior year he got hurt, but it was happening his junior year, but it was really on display his senior year. And his quarterback play his senior year, compare that to other quarterbacks. I mean, you have to go back to Brian Johnson in the Mountain West, right? It was clearly the best quarterback play the Utes had gotten in a decade. Is Brewer going to match that? Is he going to exceed that? Because if he does, then that means they probably have a running game to take some of the heat off the passing game and keep you honest. That means receivers, whether they're slot receivers, tight ends, or wide receivers, they're making plays. And whether it's somebody who still hasn't transferred into the program, whether it's somebody like Solomon Enos who just takes a huge leap forward in his development, whatever it is, if Brewer goes off, that probably happened. And if Brewer goes off and the defense is usually good, then the Utes are what you're talking about. They're probably not on the Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma level, but they're in the next group. And depending on what they do in a couple of close games that you inevitably play every year, you know, are they Team 5, Team 10, Team 15? It's not a case of where we're seeing them in these preseason polls where like, yeah, I'll put them in at 22, I'm going to leave them out. If they get the quarterback play that they got from Huntley, or if they get better than that, then sky's the limit. Dream big. Dream big, PK. It's sort of funny because we look at Zach Wilson, well, he doesn't have a team around him. But we go with Brewer and we say, man, if he really comes through, like we, we don't want to put it on Zach Wilson at the NFL level, but we're putting it all on Brewer at the college level, which is sort of interesting in that way because they don't have any proven commodities at running back. I mean, obviously uh, they would have with, with, uh, with the sensational Ty Jordan. I mean, if he would, if he'd come back, wow, wow. I mean, kid looked unbelievable. Uh, so, and you already acknowledge, well, they got uh, some issues at receiver, but yet we're going right to Brewer. But yet we go with the with Zach Wilson. Well, well we got to look at the team around him. But we don't do that with Brewer. We're, we're just heaping all this pressure on him. Man, if he comes through and he's the best quarterback, Kyle Wilber, look out. The sky's the limit. Dream big, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I find that an interesting situation where, one, we're sort of hesitant. Look at the team around him. The other, man, if this kid, oh, wow, man, he threw for, what do he throw, 11,000 yards, whatever it was at Baylor, and blah, blah, blah. He just uh, has an opportunity to be the best that uh, Kyle's ever had and yada, yada. So uh, I'm not sure that I buy into that theory completely since I'm not buying into it with Wilson at the, at the pro level. And the pro level is different, obviously, but the concept being the same. The quarterback, if, if Wilson has to have a team around him, then Brewer has to have a team around him. So I don't understand what the, what the difference is here, and we'll have to see what that offensive team around him is. The thing that I find surprising to me is every time you hear Utah mentioned, it is always in a positive vein. And 
every time by people outside of our market here, we're not talking about us, fans or media, and they're the ones who make up the market, out, the players make up the teams, the fans and the media, right? Every time you hear Kyle's name mentioned, it is always in a positive vein with respect. This program has not been disrespected in years outside of our boundaries. Inside, there's fans who get frustrated with their team, and then, of course, the Cougars are going to hate them, and they're overrated and all that stuff. And that's We get all that. That's, that's what makes the rivalry fun is you, uh, you hate the other guy. As long as it's a sports hate, I'm all for it. Once you start getting into real hate, uh, I have a problem with that. But sports hate, have at it. That's what makes it fun. I mean, I hate the Wildcats. Fact is, I don't know one Wildcat, and so if I did, I'd probably like them. But I don't, I don't like them because it's a sports hate. And uh, I have a big poster on my wall that just says 70-7. People think it's biblical, you know. It's uh, 70 to no. It's actually the score of the game. So it's not 70 times 7 to take out of the Old Testament or New Testament. It is the score of the game. So uh, that's fun. But outside of that, man, Utah, they get so much respect. That's why I was surprised that in an ESPN thing, they didn't get respect. Now, you said Stuart Mandel had the Utes mm-hmm. in there. He had them at 22. That, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Because that's the respect. Yeah. And we had, what was it, Kyle on the other day, and he was talking about how Phil Steele was uh, coming up. Kyle gave Phil Steele an hour. An hour. He spent on the phone. What do you think Phil Steele is going to say about the Utes? I mean, we, I, have, I scoped this out. I've been in this business a long time. I'm an old codger in the business now, right? But I scoped it out like maybe three or four years into the business as far as the media. And, uh, you know, I was not that I'm anybody now, but certainly back then I was a nobody. But I wanted to tell all sports information directors and they call them more the PR folks at the, at the pro level and sports information directors at the college level. If you want to get positive publicity, all you got to do is treat that media member like he or she is somebody. The media members are just basically dogs. And I use this analogy, and I've been using it for many years now. If you pet a dog, the dog wants to lick you. If you kick a dog, the dog wants to bite you. It's as simple as that. And it'll never change. No matter how many media forms and whatever, how it changes, we're still human beings, right? Well, Kyle basically pets the media. And what do they do? They love him back big time. So he gets enormous respect. And I guarantee you, Stuart Mantel has spoken to Kyle, and Kyle's treated him like man, like a man. Hey, Stuart, how are you? How's it going? <laughs> what are you going to do in that case? You going to blast him? No, you're not. You're going to praise him. So the Utes get they. I could argue, and see if you agree with this, that they get more praise than they've actually deserved or earned. That's a close call, and you love to get those and then make the definitive stand. They certainly get a lot of praise. They certainly get a lot of praise. I think one thing they've got for going for, everything you say is true, first off. People like Kyle. Kyle is nice to people. He makes sure to make some kind of uh, personal comment more often than not that recognizes your existence, whether you're on the phone or in person. If he knows you a little bit, 
he'll you know he'll mess you he'll mess with you a little bit and uh, you know get, oh, he gives get a me laugh. all sorts of crap. And well, I but he knows him. you even better. You but know? I, I mean, hate him. I, I know, but you've been around twenty years, <laughs> standing in front of him with a microphone. That's more than most media members, so he knows you more. I think the thing that has helped them and that they get credit for is that the ma- the national media largely dismisses the group of five. They'll stick up for them a little bit. They're not getting a ride. You know, if they expand the playoff, they, maybe they should get an automatic berth, that kind of stuff. Um, but the teams of the teams that have made the leap, the Utes have had more success. They've been in the Pac-12 title game more than TCU has been in the Big 12 title game. And I get TCU didn't, you know, there wasn't a Big 12 title game for a while. That really hurt TCU one year. Um, you know, or, or the success Louisville's had. They've all had some success to some degree, but I think the Utes have been more consistent, and so they get a little, they get a little, uh, a little love for that and a little respect for oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that they're also, because they're in the Pac-12 South, people look at it like USC should win that division eight or nine times in ten years. Now, that's probably not realistic, but USC has had a couple runs where they did that kind of stuff. You know, they probably, I guess, probably had three runs um, where they did that kind of thing. They don't do it all the time. They kind of expect to do it all the time. So I think anybody who challenges that, you're in a great spot. You know, they're the big dog. They're going to take all the heat. I mean, if Clay Helton goes 11-1, and one, he's not going to get any credit for the 11. But, man, is he going to get questioned about the one. So if you're Utah or ASU and if UCLA or Arizona or Colorado ever got on that kind of role, I think they'd benefit from it, too. And I just think people are looking at Utah and ASU like, can you believe they're even challenging USC? Because USC's got so much history, and they've got so many built-in advantages. And they've had three coaches who've gone in there and crushed it. Just crushed it. So Howard it, Jones? Uh, I wasn't going back that far, but I guess he'd be four. You know, John Robinson had an awesome run and got an NFL gig out of it. Um, well, they've had three guys who've had awesome runs and got an NFL gigs out of it, right? Because John McKay went to Tampa Bay, and John Robinson went to the Rams, and Pete Carroll went to the Seahawks. And they all won national titles, had Heisman Trophy winners, and got NFL gigs. And all of them went to at least conference title games, and Carroll won it all. And they're sitting there with all those recruits in L.A. There's so many four-star and five-star players coming out of there. And they play every position on the field. I mean, you can literally recruit any position you need in L.A. So they get all this. So, so if you beat them, and you're 8-4 and four and you beat them, it's, hey, look at what that coach did. Herm and Kyle. Now, Herm's like Kyle. You know, he's great with the media. He's engaging. He gives them good quotes. I wonder how much time they set aside for that kind of stuff. And they're recruiting when they do it. It's not like it isn't productive Herm? time. Well, he only sleeps one hour a day. <laughs> He's at the facility at 2 in the morning. And he gets uh, like three hours of media. He's scheduled way out. Yox tried to get him. So it's not that he's not doing anything. It's that they've already, he gets so many requests, he's already scheduled out. True. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, it's the Jazz. It's the Spurs. They're playing tonight. Tim Lacombe joins us. Seven games left in the regular season. They haven't clinched. A top two spot, but they're getting very close. Four and three down the stretch will do it. And the number one seed, they are neck and neck with the Suns, who are going back-to-back tonight. We'll talk with Tim Lacombe about the race to the finish next.
Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Is Aaron Rodgers a draw for you? Uh, I like to watch Aaron Rodgers play the game. Oh, yes, I do. He's not intriguing to me at all. You know, the Hail Mary passes. He's an entertaining quarterback to watch. I will watch the Packers when they play. And yes, I am softening up to him because I'd like to see him in a Broncos game. This is what it's about. You're softening up Aaron Rodgers because if he does end up Denver, you don't want it to be like that buddy that tears apart this guy's ex-girlfriend or, you know, he's separated from his wife. Oh, she's horrible anyways. And then they get back together. It's like, oh, this is awkward. I want that marriage to be broken up and I want her to be in my house. Man. Not a great way to say that. No, it's not. That didn't sound right. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Sunday, get the best blanket ever. It's also the best gift ever for Mother's Day with Mickey Couture, Sandy, and her staff getting it done for our listeners again, helping you get a ride on Mother's Day. You get 50% off now when you mention Zone 50 at a store near you or online at MinkyCouture.com. That's promo code Zone 50. That's Minky Couture for Mother's Day. Time to welcome in the former youth, the former Cougar, now on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows, Tim Lacombe. Tim, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Well, I'm awake, ready to tackle another day. How's that? You're excited it's a 7 o'clock game, not an 8 o'clock game. Am I right? Yeah, that was a nice little bump. Um, We got a little... Got a been at eight o'clock for a minute, so yeah, I had to look at the calendar to make sure. Um, but that will save me uh, or give me one extra hour of sleep. Let's put it that way. That's a win. That's a win right there. That's a dub. So the Jazz to get the win is it just instant replay of what they did to the, against the Spurs on Monday? And do you expect a little more out of the Spurs since they won't be going back to back and flying in from Texas? Yeah, they're going to be fresh. Uh, you know, that was that was the one thing the Jazz were um, able to kind of sit and rest while the, the Spurs played. You know, the Jazz have been doing a little of that themselves this year. So um, I, I believe that we'll see a, a similar game. But the, the one thing that's interesting about these back-to-backs, you know, it's going to be a nice little uh, almost a workshop on the playoffs because you play somebody – uh, you stay, you rest, uh, you play again, then, you know, a day later. And everybody's going to make some adjustments and things that, you know, the other team did well, you're going to try to to take away. And so, um, you know, I thought the first game Spurs really tried to eliminate three-point shots. And they only gave up 34 three-point shots to the Jazz. The Jazz were, uh, you know, really, really good in the paint. And Rudy was was phenomenal, and that's typically what happens when teams kind of sit on that three pointer. Interesting concept, Tim. If Tim sit on that three pointer, as you say, because you'd have to say the Jazz are prolific in that, and they want to attempt as many as possible. We know that. So, looking into the playoffs, 
if it's something that is an opportunity to take away something from somebody, they're probably going to do that. So do you see the Jazz having to make adjustments, and one of those adjustments in the postseason will we shoot more twos, or do they find more ways to make sure they still get up the number of threes that they want to get up? I think that, you know, they've seen uh, a lot of different looks this whole year. And I think that's one of the great things about a regular season. You're going to have the opportunity to see all sorts of different looks. You know, coaches come with different game plans and different schemes. Um, and the Jazz actually fared really well when when a team has tried to take away one or the other. Um, it's the teams that kind of have the ability with their length their versatility and switching, um, and then you know just their their sheer aggressiveness. Those those have been the teams that have given the Jazz a lot more trouble than uh, a team that's basically trying to camp on the three point line and make them do something else. Because the ball moves great, and Quinn has always had the rim as a huge piece of why the Jazz are successful. They always want to attack the rim. Uh, they always want to put pressure on the rim, whether it be in in penetration, uh, roll game, or or transition. That element needs to be there to make the three pointer uh, more accessible. So, the one thing I will say is the Jazz are well versed in seeing all sorts of different defenses, and so that that will certainly play in their advantage as the playoffs come because they've seen a little bit of everything and they've been able to execute a little, against a little bit of everything. So, a long time ago, Jeff Hornacek sat in the locker room and told PK, you really want to be playing well in the last 10 games. You know, you want to get all the key guys together, get them on the same page, really be in a groove, and that makes a lot of sense. It's common sense. But for teams like the Jazz and the Lakers, who have guys out and might get them back for the playoffs... You know, the Nuggets aren't getting Jamal Murray back, and the Warriors aren't getting Klay Thompson back. So their best guys, even if it's not their best possible team, their best possible playoff team is trying to get on the same page right now. But the Jazz and the Lakers may not have their best possible playoff team available here at the end of the regular season. How much is that a concern? Well, I think that's you've heard that forever. And having been around the game, I think it's important. You know, everybody used to ask us how things are going middle of January. There, there's just kind of a, I don't know, there's just like spring and, and new blossoms and flowers. When spring hits, when playoffs hit, you know, there's almost some new life that's breathed into the team. Um, but you always do want to be playing your best basketball. And like you said, in the Jazz circumstance right now, they're not able to really have everyone out there because of injury. But, um uh, you know, Scotty and I were talking on the po- on the post game the other night um, that this may be somewhat of a blessing in disguise because uh, Donovan had a really really going, um, and um, you know, th- there's there's no doubt in my mind that uh, you know Donovan is the guy on this team that's just a little bit different than everybody else. You know, he can get his own shot um, and. So what this last little stretch has done, I think, is it's kind of infused some confidence in a bunch of guys who kind of needed it. Um, and I'll start with Bojan. I think he's just been he's been remarkable. Um, and you know, to his credit, I think he sees the void uh, that's left without a couple of guys out there that are a scores, um, but the playmaking component. 
You know, we've seen him do more off the bounce, get to the rim. Um, I think he is the very definition of versatility. Uh, he's a guy the Jazz, you know, through their storied franchise, he's kind of been the guy that's hard to find. Somebody can make shots from the perimeter that's rugged enough to, to take a beating on the, you know, on the, in the post um, and has a much better than advertised drive game. Um, and, and I think some of the early stuff that we saw with Bowie on turnovers and, and not finishing had more to do with his, his wrist than anything else. And the fact that that's all coming together, not ideal right now, because you, you would much rather have everybody out there gelling. But I think there are some, um, some bright spots that you can, I guess the old adage, if life gives you lemon, make lemonade. So I think that's what the Jazz are doing. Let me write that down. If life gives you Yeah, I think that was, um, if I remember right, that was Betsy Ross that said that. <laughs> Betsy Between Ross, Bobby, Bobby Ross's uh, wife. The old Charger coach and what do you coach? Georgia Tech, Georgia yep. somewhere. Georgia Tech, rambling wreck, <laughs> hell of an engineer. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you see an opportunity for Bogey when he puts his head down though to get some drawn kick? Because it seems like once the head's going down, man, he's going to the basket. He he does have that penchant, um, but I have seen him make some plays off the bounce, even passing. Um, and and so the one thing we know about this this jazz team is these coaches do a great job. Um, you don't have to watch very, very long to see progress. Um, I made, you know, I, I've talked way too much about it, but I've watched Rudy elevate his game within the context of one season. Um, his ability right now to catch it and to finish it is light years ahead of where it was the beginning of the year. Um, you know, a guy like George Niang is playing with, a great level of confidence, but he's really kind of shored up pieces of his game he needed to. And and Bojan, obviously, that's something they watch on film. Like, I can guarantee you, when they watch film and Bojan drives it and puts his head down, because Quinn's theory is eyes up, eyes out, when he, when he drives, and, and I guarantee those are clips on film, because that's how you reinforce. And um, those guys all get a film package from the night before. And there's good, and there's bad, and there's ugly. And those things are all going to be on there. And so through recognition and accountability and then certainly opportunities within the context of practice uh, and games to reinforce, that's why you see guys get better. Um, I think it's a great observation, PK. And I think that um, I've, I've definitely seen improvement, but it's def- definitely a little part of his game that he can, he can improve for sure. So team-wide, if there's one thing to improve, it's turnovers. When they don't turn the ball over, they look awesome. When they do yeah. turn the ball over, I sense people yelling at their TVs and throwing stuff. That's what it looks like in the studio. I don't know if you've ever seen a dent where you sit, but <laughs> I've been known to throw a few things. Is there anything that can be done to lessen the number of turnovers? Quinn Snyder said, yeah. Look where you're throwing it, and if there's a guy in the way, don't throw the ball. I mean, that's not a tone Quinn usually takes, but that makes me think he's at the end of his rope when he's saying stuff like that on a Zoom call with the media. It's like, oh, he's talked about turnovers till he's blue in the face. He's just at it. So a couple of things to unpack there. I think, number one, um, you know, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier in the conversation. I think that the Jazz have seen so many different looks this year. Um 
and people really have disguised coverages. Um, you know, it's, it's one fascinating thing about the NBA, watching the Jazz the other night against the Spurs, and the Spurs are just this notoriously deadly two-point team. Um, very rarely do you see a team that shoots the two like they do. I mean, DeMar DeRozan has not attempted a three since March 26th. Uh, everything he does, his shot chart looks like when there's a tornado warning rolling through the south. You know, it's all red. That's where his his, his is in the paint. Um, but the Jazz, obviously, they have this ability to attack you off the bounce and on the roll. And in, so, a couple of things I'll point to. Number one, I think it's it's changing defenses and guys. You know, maybe assuming that defenses being played was like the one the other night, and and there has been a lot of of. Uh, disguise. And then I think the second thing is spacing. Quinn talks about spacing all the time. Uh, this offense is really based on guys being in deep corners and free throw line extended um, and, you know, really kind of playing off one another. And if somebody's not in the right spot and the defense is able to, to cheat a little bit, that compromises, you know, your your ball security. And then I think the third thing is focus. This team has gone in and out a lot, and Quinn talks about it after after games all the time. When this team's really focused and really locked in, it's really good. But you see guys, and it's it's across the board. It's not just young guys or old guys. It's everybody. They get a little complacent with a pass that probably seems easy. And uh, like you said, DJ, they throw it to the other team. And so I think those three, those combinations of things, um, understanding the defense, how they're playing, Making sure your spacing is impeccable. Um, spacing is offense, and offense is spacing. That was Rick Majerus. Um, actually, he said it like this: You know, spacing is offense, and or an offense is spacing, something like that. Um, but that's that's the second thing, and then I think that focus, that understanding of uh, of making sure that guys are in the right spots, um, that your passes is deliverable, and that you make a good decision, and. and those are the things I'm sure Quinn's driving home all the time. It's just a matter of those things clicking. But you make a great point. When the Jazz take care of the ball and particularly eliminate live ball turnovers, those are the ones that are really tough because the Jazz are not great in transition defensively right now. They, they kind of hit and miss. So when you throw the team the ball and they've got a head start with numbers, that's a hard one to, to, to guard. So eliminate live ball turnovers would be more important than anything else. So they need these four wins to get uh, seal up second place. Uh, I think they're going to get them. If they get them, do you think they pull back a little bit, or they still proceed try to get first? Um, gosh, I have no idea. I think at that point, I think if you've got something locked up, and, and that's the funny part right now is there's so many people that are, are in a position to – again, last night the West completely shifted, right? Um, so – I don't know. That's going to be a decision they'll have to make. I, I think if it's within shouting distance, certainly they'd love to be the number one seed. But um, now you have to start kind of planning on and, and, like you guys talked about, getting yourselves right and ready and fresh. And a lot of these guys, you know, you forget the Clarkson and Ingles and all these dudes have been really trying to carry a load. Um, and even though other dudes are playing minutes, you know, they feel a little bit more responsibility. So they've got to be fatigued. Uh, I was actually very, very impressed with a day off, the way Rudy looked, the difference between Rudy on Saturday and Monday. Just one day off, what it does for guys. And so they've got four games this week. They've got the one, they've, they've made their way through one. 
um, got tonight. And then, uh, I, so I, I guess that's an organizational question more than anything. But um, my thought is if the Jazz are within striking distance of one, uh, they'll do it smart. But I don't know that you just concede that. As always, Tim, we appreciate it. We have more for you, but we don't want you to, you know, empty the opinions holster there. You, you've got another hour to do it at 6 o'clock tonight on the pregame show. I do. I actually I've lost my opinion holster, but I, I've got one on order from Amazon. It should be here by 1030, so we should be good. You'll be good to go at 6 o'clock. Yep. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, pre-half and post-game tonight, 6 o'clock the pregame with the Jazz and the Spurs at 7. And if they're turnovers, then you know the remote control is bouncing off the wall or the TV set, depending on Tim's aim. God bless you, everyone. Thank you, Tim. See you. DJ and PK coming up. Michael Lev covers the Arizona Wildcats. For the Arizona Daily Star, Arizona and BYU in the season opener. Utes obviously have the conference game with them later in the year. We'll find out if Wildcats are ready for any kind of uh, bounce back. The last time we saw them, PK's Sun Devils were crushing them 70-7 to and getting a coaching staff fired. We'll talk with Michael Lev coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, we'll underline, I think, the most important thing Tim Lacombe said, and we will do that next. Stay with us. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Have you showed Lisa this story? No. Will you put the headset on her and show her that story? (laughs) Okay, now you be respectful while I'm gone, okay? Okay. Hey, hey, fellas. Yeah. Gordon is back. Hi, Gordon. Yeah, she's not here. I think she's on a walk or something. Now, wait a minute. Did you eat something? <laughs> I grabbed a snack. On the... You I didn't did go even <laughs> go look for it. I saw a couple of M&Ms, so I took them in my mouth, and then I went to the other side of the house to look for them. You it. did not. You just went to the kitchen <laughs> to grab a snack. It's okay, isn't it? Sure, they're waiting on air for me, but heck, I'm oh, hungry. Well, yeah, eat some more. Oh, I got a snack. <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O. The team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we just had Tim Lacombe on talking Utah Jazz and PK. I think when he starts talking about turnovers, it really gets to the heart of the matter. Obviously, a lot of things happen in a game, and a lot of things cause wins and losses. But I think when a quarter goes badly for the Jazz, and they're giving up 30 points in a quarter, and their lead's going away, more often than not, you look at it, it's turnovers and it's fast breaks for the other teams. That seems to be the kryptonite, and it seems to be the thing that takes down the Jazz more often than anything else. Any team? You what? Wouldn't that be for any team? Could be. Obviously, we watch way more of the Jazz. Um, I think other teams do get sunk at times by their inability to shoot the ball. Uh, But I think the Jazz are in pretty good shape in that area. Um, There are matchups that haunt teams. There are lineups that haunt teams. Now, maybe when a lineup is haunted, they are turning the ball over. Um, But I, I don't feel like the Jazz have a lineup they put out on the floor where I think they just have to... And, and they've had it at times. They just don't think they're there now. They put a lineup on the floor and you're thinking they just need to get through these few minutes and not get blown off the floor because this group isn't good enough. You know, they have enough depth to stay away from that now. But the turnovers come... When the turnovers come from the Jazz, I can't really pin it on just 
one player or one lineup, you know, there's this spot in the game where they're running these guys out there, they're at risk. They, it seems like the turnovers can pop up at any time and any, anybody can have an issue. You know, it's been Donovan or Mike at times. Boyan has had his issues with turnovers at times. Rudy's had his. You know, you can just go down the lineup. Well, if it was any one player, then you'd take them out and you'd solve the problem. So obviously it's not any one player. It's uh, across the board. I, I don't cringe, but I get a little a tad bit nervous when Rudy Gobert goes out, and that's no knock on anybody else. It's more of a nod to Gobert's greatness. I mean, he is the great security blanket. I mean, I just feel so much better when he's out on the floor, uh, certainly at one end, uh, defensively speaking, <clears throat> but he also can add more offense. I mean, you the thing that one of the things that I've loved in the development of this team is to watch somebody like Conley, who's got adept at chucking the ball up for Gobert to go slam it. You know, in the 80s when I was watching all those Laker games, I used to love to see, you knew it was coming, the Koopa Loop. Oh, yeah. The, um, the, Everybody loved the Koopa Loop. The lob to Michael Cooper, and the place would go nuts. And, you know, it was going to happen, and maybe even multiple times, right? So it was a fun, fun play. Uh, the Gobert lob now is really, in my mind, a thing of beauty. Uh, I'm I'm sort of a guy who likes the uh, the finer points of sports. So you know the the the, the relay from uh, right center and the cutoff and you, the cutoff's right on the money and the the second baseman or shortstop catches it as his shoulders are turned parallel to home and he throws to the plate and they get the guy out at the plate. That's the kind of stuff I really, really enjoy. It's the finer points of the game that I just marvel at these guys to be able to do it and to do it so well, right? And that lob, it, it looks so easy, but I, and I don't really think it is when, when someone's on the move and they're moving at a, a lot of times at a high rate of speed and it's just an acknowledgement that, okay, Gobert's there, and I think it's come through the – just the familiarity of the guys playing and knowing where players are going to be because you've been playing with them for a good while. So I see that. So I do get a little nervous when not, – I don't know nervous is the right word. I'm not sure what the right word is actually, which is a surprise because I usually have the words. But I don't know how to describe it. But I do think when Gobert leaves the floor – Find a way to, to still remain competitive until you can get him back in because obviously he's not playing all 48. But there's no question, yes, with particularly with Gobert as a defensive anchor, if you're turning the ball over and, you know, above the free throw line and all that stuff, you get an opportunity for the other team to get easy buckets. And that just sucks because you're – you don't score, and you're giving away two points. So you're it's like a double whammy. And I think if they can keep that number around 10, as close to it as possible, I don't know what the stats were. Somebody should go through that. And I'm sure they have. Yeah, They've got stats They've got for it. everything. <clears throat> that, Locke probably you know, has it, too. Yeah, we can hit you know, him off. If you He'll have 10 us. turnovers, if you have 12 turnovers, 15, yeah. whatever I think, the I think they're differential good up to, is. They're, they, if they only turn over 10 times, I think the Jazz are great. But I think they're pretty good even at 15. But once 15? you start getting into that 18 to 20 range, David you is are said, playing with fire. David says traditionally with the Jazz, how they run their offense, they will always have turnovers. But if it's around 10, they're actually doing they're, pretty good. They're golden at that yeah, point. That's what yeah. he said. Yeah, because you're not, not only are you eliminating an opportunity for yourself to score, 
But if you're giving away easy points and, and, it, and it can't do his thing, it's unfortunate. Well, and the numbers don't lie there, right? You get zero points on that possession, and they, they get two or three, three-point play and a foul, or you know now teams run fast breaks for three-pointers. It's not all for And one! Points. And one! <laughs> but it's also, and this is the stuff you like, it's not so much the analytics, it's also all the emotion and the momentum. It takes the jazz crowd out of it. Or, you know, on the road, now we're seeing some other arenas with fans in it, and it gets them into the game. And it certainly fires, even if the arena's empty, it fires up the other team, and you'll see their bench go nuts and that kind of stuff. And you can't underestimate the, uh, the energy that comes with all that emotion that'll pump a team fans up on the next possession. in the arena, yes. Did you hear Jared Dudley? He's a smart dude. I think he went to Boston College. He's very, very media mm-hmm. friendly. Say that he thinks that it is wildly unfair how, like Portland, they have zero fans. Yeah, some teams have and, them and some teams don't. And so he was saying in the playoffs, uh, the way I took it, I don't think he was saying it specifically, but he was saying, man, Salt Lake is going to have a, the, they already have a great advantage. You know, this place goes berserk and bonkers. But if they start allowing more and more fans in and they're increasing the number, I don't know what the time frames are, but they have been increasing the numbers. And if they increase the numbers even more. So he didn't say this, I don't think, uh, but I took from it. Should the league step in and make it more uniform on the number of fans that are going to be allowed? Because it could be a significant differential from one destination to the next. It absolutely could be. Um, the Blazers have had no fans, but I saw that they are getting permission to let in 10% of capacity, and that by the playoffs they could be up to 20%. So I don't know exactly what the place sits, but that sounds like basically 2,000 fans and maybe getting up to 4,000. Now the Jazz are, seem to be trending towards 10. I don't know how quickly they'll 10, get there. Yeah, 10,000 fans. I don't know. first playoff game. If, if you what? When's the first playoff game? Uh, May 22nd, I think. Then let's trend towards that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point I was getting to. I don't know if it'll be there for the first playoff game, later in the series, if they get to the second round, you know, how that'll all work out remains to be seen. Uh, but I think what you're saying and what Dudley's saying, there's absolutely truth to it. And playing in an empty building is different than playing in front of 5,000 fans. So if you if you played high school sports, if you played in front of 100 people or 1,000 people, you know, you heard them and it pumped you up. So what's it going to be when you take it to five and 10,000? Obviously, it's, uh, it's going to have an impact. It's, um, even if it doesn't, I don't know that the opposing fans drag you down. I mean, pros have been through a lot. They've heard a lot. Look at what the Astros heard from the Yankees last night, or Yankee fans last night. Uh, but I think that all players will acknowledge the home fans will pump you up when you're dragging a little bit. You know, when things aren't going well and you're – you know, tired late in the game, they'll definitely give you a shot of adrenaline if they're in the building. All right, when we come back, Michael Lev covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. BYU and Arizona play the season opener. Utes have their conference game with the Wildcats later in the season, and we will find out if the Wildcats are an easy target for a W or if the turnaround has begun in Tucson. Michael Lev coming up next. Stay with us. DJ PK, and it's time to welcome in Michael Lev. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. BYU plays Arizona in the season opener. The Utes will have their traditional South Division clash with Arizona later in the season. So Ute and Cougars 
Gather around the radio and let's see what we can learn about the Wildcats as they try to pull off a bounce-back season. Michael, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? We are doing we are doing well. Can the same be said of the Wildcats? Because the last time we saw them, they were getting absolutely pummeled by Arizona State. Coaching change. Everything's brand new. Is uh, is Jedfish changing the just the whole energy and vibe around the program? Because it seems like if that doesn't happen, then everything else is a waste of time. He is, and he has. Um, there's a just a different kind of feel to everything under Jedfish. Um, things are very open. Um, there's a an undercurrent of optimism around here, um, which is uh, great. It's refreshing. It's needed. Uh, no one talks about that um, terrible Territorial Cup experience. Um, who, who would want to talk about it here? Um, it was pretty much, uh, you know, a nightmare. Um, but maybe it was necessary because um, change happened afterward. And thus far, um, the, the change has been positive. Uh, you know, things could change, of course, again, uh, once they take the field against BYU. If, if um, that game is, is a blowout loss, uh, people will start, you know, maybe talking about Know, personnel and what what's wrong with Arizona football and that sort of thing again. But for now, it's all about um, how different things are, different looking offense, different approach to spring practice, um, open practices, uh, involvement of the community, turning things around. I mean, everything is sort of is pushing uh, in a positive direction. Well, Michael, as an ASU grad myself, I talk about 70 to 7 every day. So I, I, I enjoy taking it. I just have a TV downstairs. It's just on constant rerun. It just starts from the beginning and goes to the end. I, I turn it off when Jackson He scores that last touchdown, and then I go to bed. Uh, but following the Wildcats uh, and what they've been doing, certainly Fish has been uh, bringing in a lot of energy, but it was hard not to because Sumlin was a big old downer and his team sucked and all that. So you still have to have players, and with that in mind, let's just start right at the quarterback. We know Gunnell took off, transferred out, and so in spring they had a couple of local guys, Gunnar Cruz, I think he start, uh, was at Washington State and then transferred in, and then Will Plummer's up from the Phoenix area. But they, and both those guys were in spring ball. But they also have Jordan McLeod, who is a uh, coming over as a South Florida transfer, and I think he has like uh, 15, 16, 17 starts. So he's got some experience, not necessarily for a great team, but as far as quarterback, where do you think it stands? Yeah, it's wide open still. Um, Gunnar Cruz, uh, who's from Arizona, uh, he did transfer in in March jumped right into the quarterback competition in spring. He and Will Plummer went back and forth uh, throughout spring camp. And, I mean, I would have said maybe halfway through spring that Gunnar Cruz was ahead and was the favorite for the job. But then Will Plummer, who had hit kind of a, a wall at one point, he rallied in a pretty significant way, and he closed that gap. And I'd say the two of them are neck and neck at the moment. And then – you bring Jordan McLeod into the mix, and he's going to be given every opportunity to win the job. So I don't think we're very close at all to figuring out who that is. 
Um, it's a big transition for pretty much any um, high school or transferring quarterback because very different system than what these guys are used to. Um, I was just watching some highlights of Jordan McLeod the other day, and he's you know he's running a spread down there in South Florida. He's in the shotgun all the time. Um, you know when they do a play action fake, it's that little you know kind of dip the ball down and take a step back. When they do a play action fake in this offense, I mean it is you know NFL style. You're under center, you're turning your back to the defense, you're taking five and seven step drops. Um, there's a lot of uh, different mechanics that are involved in that. Um, it's there's different verbiage that's involved, um, and you, know, you saw the the, the growing pains uh, with the two quarterbacks who were here uh, in spring. Uh, both of them kind of had their moments of kind of indecisiveness, hesitation, where you could just tell that they're thinking about a lot of stuff out there and not playing freely. And it wasn't kind of until the end of spring that Will Plummer started to, to really open up and play freely um, and, and use his natural ability uh, where it was kind of becoming muscle memory. Um, and that's kind of the, I don't know, that's the, the kind of the common theme for every one of the quarterbacks as we head into summer and into training camp is how do they handle that transition to a very different uh, pro-style offense. So at running back, uh, Brightwell's gone off to the Giants now. Uh, Michael Wiley played a little bit in the spring, but not a lot. Uh, you wrote a thing about Bam Smith. What, what's happening at running back? How is this going to sort itself out? Yeah, I think they're fine there. Uh, again, probably the deepest team uh, position uh, on the team, even with you know, even losing a couple of, you know, I, I guess I'll call them NFL guys the last two years. You know, J.J. Taylor wasn't drafted, but he made the Patriots and played a little bit last year. And then Gary Brightwell was selected by the Giants. Um, still have Michael Wiley, who looked good uh, last season. Uh, as kind of the, you know, the number two behind Brightwell. Um, they brought in Drake Anderson, a transfer from Northwestern, who has a lot of college experience and it's a little different style of runner. He's a little bit more uh, nifty and shifty. Um, they also have Jalen John, who's a second-year freshman, who's a bigger kid, uh, maybe in the 225-pound range, uh, brings some power to the position. Um, Stevie Rocker, a freshman from here in Tucson, looked really good in spring. Um, the guys who cover high school sports here told me that he looked better in spring practice than he ever did in high school uh, while he was playing uh, for, for Canyon Del Oro here because he was healthy and he seldom was during his prep career. And they have another kid coming in, James Bowles uh, from uh, Orange County, California, who just had a really good spring uh, uh, in their you know shortened season that they had out there. So I think plenty of running backs. And I think the important thing to note is that th- that's going to be a very important kind of foundational piece uh, for this offense. Uh, they're going to do a lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of rollout. And in order to make those plays effective, you need to run the ball. I think Jed Fish recognizes that. Um, it's also a way to make things easier on a new quarterback and make things easier on an offensive line group that really struggled last season. 
So, relatively speaking, their their offense obviously was better than their defense because their defense was literally last in just about every category uh, in the Pac-12 for sure. And as I look at the defense this year, uh, there's the the transfer thing. It's like if you don't keep up to it every day, you're going to miss guys. And I know they got Malik Reed, a transfer from uh, Wisconsin, I think, just here very recently. And they also got some other linebacker transfers and Hayward and Roberts. So I think they probably set at linebacker. Uh, secondary, maybe safety, they're okay. Cornerbacks, uh, a little bit of depth issues there. Uh, what is going on as far as how much are they bolstering transfers defensively combined with the players that they have? Yeah, definitely some fresh blood uh, coming in on that side of the ball, which is needed. Um, a couple transfers that you mentioned from the MAC, uh, Trayshawn Hayward from Western Michigan. He was the 2019 uh, MAC Defensive Player of the Year, so. Um, really good pedigree there. Jerry Roberts coming in uh, from Bowling Green. I would expect both of those guys to be immediate starters uh, at linebacker alongside Anthony Candy. Um, pretty good depth at that position. Uh, depth elsewhere is kind of questionable still, um, even with the guys that they've brought in. Um, I thought the, the front-line defense looked good in spring, and for the most part, you know, they won the majority of the battles against the offense, it's, you know, it's what happens when you get a few injuries. And uh, that's, you know, that's the difficulty when you're Arizona, you're, you're not Alabama, you know, you don't have uh, four and five star guys waiting on the bench. So uh, this coaching staff has really gone about trying to build up, you know, the bottom portion of the roster, really trying to improve that depth. It's got several, um, preferred walk-ons coming in who had uh, offers from schools, um, which is a good thing. They've utilized the transfer portal heavily, and I think they're going to continue to do so in the future. I think most schools are going to continue to do so in the future. Like It wouldn't surprise me moving forward here if the composition of Arizona's recruiting classes was something like you know, 15 high school players and 10 kids from the transfer portal. It further wouldn't surprise me if a lot of teams who are kind of on that level uh, did the same thing. It's just it's just how things are now. Um, it's going to be a prominent part of team building um, moving forward. So I look at Arizona's schedule, and there's no Stanford, and there's no Oregon State, and the non-conference is BYU on a neutral side, followed by San Diego State and NAU at home. How much progress can Arizona make getting back to 500? Are the pieces of the puzzle there, or is this going to be a rough year? There's going to be a lot of building done, but the record isn't going to reflect any progress. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to go from you know a 12-game losing streak and 0-5 season to six and six, which, you know, I think would be considered above and beyond um, expectations. Um, so I, the honeymoon period, I think, is going to be longer for Jed Fish than it was for Kevin Sumlin because of the state of program uh, that, that each guy inherited. Remember, when Kevin Sumlin came in, they had Cleo Tate kind of at the height of his powers. They 
was seven and six the previous year. I mean, it wasn't viewed as a rebuilding project at that time. Maybe we were all fooled because of how good Tate was during that one stretch. Um, but, you know, they were favored in their opener against BYU, I believe, by double digits. Um, and that was probably right where the honeymoon period ended. They lost that game. You know, Tate didn't run. The offense didn't look good. It was kind of downhill from there. Um, they are not going to be favored in this matchup against BYU. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, they're going to struggle to beat San Diego State uh, in week two, even though that game is here and, you know, it's a G5 team. Um, I think that, you know, something in the range of four and eight is what we might be looking at in year one under Jed Fish. But if they're able to do that, if they're competitive and, you know, they're able to, to beat ASU at the end of the season, I think that would be viewed as a positive considering where they, where they're coming from. Um, so it's, it's kind of all tied into, you know, w- what happened before. And when you've lost 12 games in a row, um, you know, not a lot is, is expected out of you. And the only thing that, you know, Jed Fish has referred to as far as record goes or expectations or how he would define success is he just wants, he just wants Arizona to be a tough out each week, each week. You know, the toughest team that anyone faces in the Pac-12. And the results kind of are what they are. I actually like their receivers uh, as a group. Well, we don't know who's going to be throwing to them, but I think they got a decent set of receivers, although Joyner, one of their better ones, I understand had some foot surgery and probably is going to miss that BYU game. Yeah, Jamari Joyner had a Jones fracture in his foot last spring. And then toward the end of this spring, he had a recurrence um, of the fracture, uh, which I guess happens uh, in a certain percentage of cases. And he's going to be out for a while. Um, he conceivably could, could miss the beginning of the regular season. Uh, we'll see. You know, just super talented player, maybe an NFL caliber player, um, not something that you want to rush back from. Um, I like the, you know, kind of the top end quality of that group. I'm not sure the quantity is quite where um, they want it to be. However, um, they don't play nearly as many three and four wide receiver sets as they did um, before. Um, Tight end is a legitimate and prominent part of this offense. There are a lot of two tight end sets involved. And when you do that, you know, you really only need two receivers on the field. So um, they're able to kind of mitigate um, the lack of, of depth a little bit in that regard. Um, Stanley Berryhill, I would say, was probably the MVP of spring uh, on offense. And he was their leading receiver a year ago. Um, and he's the guy, um, I think, who's going to be leading that group this year, no matter who the quarterback is. Well, Michael, we appreciate the uh, the time, the perspective on the rebuild in Arizona, and look forward to seeing the Wildcats play the local teams a couple times this year. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And PK, I'll try not to bring up 70-7 to 7 too many times around you. Huh. Good luck with that. That's your number, PK. 70-7. Oh, we'll never see that again in, in many, many lifetimes, I would think. Uh, but w- what's funny is that I just thought about this. I didn't even realize it. In a fairly short span of time, Arizona's going to open with BYU three times. Yeah. 
He said, remember the one down in Arizona because it was uh, Kalani's first game. Mm-hmm. I was there. Yeah. And uh, that little, uh, what's the kicker's name? He's like 12 years Jake old. Jake Oldroyd. Yeah, kicks the winning field goal. I, remember, I asked him in the post game, how old are you? There were <laughs> legitimately people on that team who had no clue who he was. He was that so, new. He looks so young. And they won that ball game. And then I forgot about the one in Tucson. And I was there at that one, too. Well, that one, I, it was in Tucson. I thought it was, in Arizona, it was at the Cardinal Stadium. No, Kalani's Old, was in Oldroyd's Tucson. Oh, Oldroyd was, was in, yeah, you're right. Okay. was on yeah. the Cardinals field. And then the, and then the Khalil Tate thing, when it was after he had that incredible season. Correct. And they come in with Sumlin, and it just, right from the start, I mean, that very game, we're sitting in the press box up there, and you could hear the Arizona media to our left, like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. This kid didn't look near like what he had looked under Richrod. And I think Richrod is a phenomenal offensive coach uh, when it just comes to schemes and everything. And, and I've always respected his uh his ability from the offensive perspective for sure. And then Khalil Tate's just at and just looking awful and it's like he's just chucking the ball deep and, and nobody was there. And I for, but I forgot about that game. But the funny thing is as uh, Kalani was walking off the field, he comes up to me and he says I bet you like this result, huh? <laughs> Everybody knows about you in Arizona and Arizona State. Kalani. Uh, PK, to answer your original question about all this, this is part of a three-game deal that was agreed to between Arizona and BYU. Yeah, now that you said that, I remember that. But I had, I had uh, And Mangum played pretty well in that game, and I forgot about that game. That was a big win for them. At the end, because we didn't know. As Michael Lev was saying, Arizona wasn't that bad the year before. They weren't, and then they just hit rock bottom under Sumlin. It was amazing how how much they everything fall, went fell wrong. Off. Yeah, everything it did. went wrong. Yeah, it was just nonstop wrong, wrong, wrong. And I, you're right. I had forgotten about that game in Tucson, but that really was the game where it's like, wait, they had a really good quarterback. Yes, what happened? He's the same guy. Are you going but to he's use not him? The same guy. No, it was stunning sitting in that press box. I mean, Sports Illustrated, uh, I think it was them, had on their cover, at least for the West Coast, big big thing on Tate being a Heisman candidate. And I thought, yeah, I mean, he came in and took the league by storm, was winning player of the week like three or four times in a row off from the offensive perspective. And he looked really, really dynamic. Yeah. And then nothing, nothing. Nope. He's at a the pocket passer and, yeah. Just yeah, they just put him in a position where he wasn't meant to succeed. And you know, I really think coaching of all the sports, coaching in football really matters. And it was just bad. So Fish is coming in here, and the good thing with him is that it's it's so bad that anything he does, and he's already been uh, hitting the PR campaign in the really in Arizona, not just Tucson, because in order to hit the PR campaign, you've got to make yourself available to the Phoenix folks, and he has a bunch of times. So i got to give him credit. He's a Jersey guy all the way, as I said. Uh, a Jersey guy school. who didn't play football. He was a tennis guy, yeah, and he's yeah, at yeah. Florida leaving sticky notes under Steve Spurrier's windshield day after day after day after day and finally mm-hmm. gets a – a chance to be a you know volunteer grad coach kind of deal, you know, total grunt level, entry level. That's a really, really unusual path to be in a Pac-12 head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, nevertheless, uh, he's got a pro uh, 
Pedigree too. He went to the, yep. he went to the same high school as Linda Tripp. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> How many people went to high school with Linda Tri- same year or just same school, oh, no, different Linda, time? Because he's Tripp's, younger. He's Linda way Tripp's younger. Is deceased now, isn't she? Oh, really? Yeah, she's he's way, way older. younger. Yeah, yeah, he's way. But but my sister went to the same high school. Well, went to that high school and was a classmate of Linda Tripp's because <laughs> when all that stuff and if you Linda Tripp was the gal with uh, Clinton and what was the other girls the girls Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're Linda Tripp was the one who told Monica to save the dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember my sister saying, uh, Linda Tripp, I remember her from high school. <laughs> it's like a, out of nowhere, <laughs> East Hanover, New Jersey, <laughs> where uh, Fish is from. So you know he can talk, and he's been winning the PR situation. i got to give him credit. And i got to give the U of A credit, too, because someone was a nightmare, and they saw how Herm is just beloved by everybody. And I think that stuff matters. I mean, you've got to have the horses to win on a football field for sure. But you've got to have somebody that knows how to play that game. I mean, you look at And I don't know what Blake Anderson's going to be at Utah State. I followed him a little bit because of my, my wife's grandmother in Arkansas State. So I have a little bit of an idea. But you look at Kyle and Kalani. And those two guys knock it out of the park. And I think that's really that, that's important. It's not the most important, but you can't be a Kevin Sumlin type guy either. you got to figure a way to recruit, and players have got to, A, want to come to your school, and B, they have to want to stay at your school, and boosters have to want to write checks. That helps. Either you got to win a lot, or you got to be likable, or both. Yes. And the, the thing with Rich Rod is, Rich Rod is the only coach since Tomey to leave there with a winning record. They actually, you know, five out of six years he was there, they had a winning record. Now, they only won big once, and obviously there were off-the-field issues that were major. Uh, but Rich Rod included, no one's left there with a winning record in conference play since Tomey. So there is a lot of heavy lifting to be done. And it starts with changing the energy and the vibe. It does. It does. But they need a whole lot more talent. Your question about the defense was spot on. Defensively, they've got to get better because that was a problem going back to Rich Rod. Rich Rod won games because they could outscore people. Mm-hmm. But the, the tackling, the lack of speed on defense, you did not have to have a sharp football eye to see who the faster team was. When the Arizona defense was on the field, it usually wasn't them. There were people running away from them regardless of who they were playing. Yep. All right. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed next. Stay with us. Okay, he's going to New York, and uh, he is a kid that's uh, probably going to struggle, and you know what's going to happen. They're going to start screaming. And uh, how well does he handle adversity? How well can he put up with the media and all the distractions? And why aren't you this and why aren't you that? And he can't go on. He can't get in front of the reporters and go, well, my offensive line's not very good. I really feel for this kid. He's going to get beat up, and we're going to find out how tough he is. you got to be tough as all get out on the inside to make it in this league. And uh, New York are toughing you up. That's Jerry Bradshaw, the former Steeler quarterback, longtime NFL commentator, talking about Zach Wilson going to New York. Well, the part about are they going to put talent around him? How beat up is he going to get physically? How good is the offensive line? Those are all good storylines. But PK, the local New York media doesn't uh, doesn't play the same way it did twenty or thirty years ago. 
I think that's a fact. And we need to be 100% accurate. New York is in New Jersey. They practice in New Jersey, and they play in New Jersey. And, yeah, I feel really bad for him. He's about to get $22 million into his bank account. So what's that going to be, uh, 10 11 $12 million after after taxes? Uh, I, I just think that the media there, though, is it's it's everywhere. You don't think Baker Mayfield felt it in Cleveland? Absolutely. You, when you go that high and you go to a crappy team, it's there. It's around you. So I don't know that there is New York media specific. Sure, they're going to get on you, but they're not going to be the ones booing you if you suck, right? It's going to be the fans, presuming you know they have fans in the ballpark or the stadium and all that stuff. Uh, but that's... That's it. I really believe that's inherent anywhere. You don't think that if he was drafted number two by the Cowboys, it would be any different? I, I really don't see where the difference is in the way the world is set up today. Okay, but how about Jacksonville? They are as close to the edge of the flat NFL earth as is possible. And and here's the other thing. The, the five quarterbacks who went in the first 15 picks – Three of them went to teams that you would have to say, at minimum, are mediocre, right? If you go to the Bears, their offense has been a disaster, but their defense has been good enough to keep them around 500. Patriots are coming off a 500-ish season. Before that, a long playoff run, and they had a lot of guys opt out. So it's really the top two picks who are going to bad teams, right? Uh, Trey Lance, the third pick, is going to the Niners. Down year, two years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right, I, I buy all that. But my point I'm making is once you give, and obviously all rookies are untested, that's the nature of being a rookie at the start of their uh, NFL career or whatever career they're in, and you give somebody $23 million of guaranteed money, that just screams pressure. I mean, you look at Francisco Lindor right now with the Mets. He's hitting under 200 and he's a proven commodity. Well, they gave him big, big money. You know, these the money deals now that these uh, baseball players are getting are in the $300 million range. So there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I think there's pressure on Trevor Lawrence, and I, and I agree with you. Uh, the Jacksonville is about as barely into the NFL as you can get, but not anymore. Now that you've got Urban, I know. and you're he's the number one, and you've been the number one pick for three years. And where you're going to get – see, the thing is, I don't know I, – I think Bradshaw's right about the pressure on Wilson and how will he handle it. I think where you need to disagree with Bradshaw is that pressure would exist anywhere. Because yes, that's what I'm the saying. pregame shows from the networks yeah, yeah. are going to go to Jacksonville. They, Trevor Lawrence is too big a star in college not to. They're going to go to Jacksonville. And The Athletic is going to write about it. And ESPN.com is going to write about it. And on down the line with the websites. Right. And plus, Lawrence has Popovich hair. <laughs> no, he doesn't. It's much thicker. It's about the same because length. He's younger. He's I'll give younger, you the length. Though. But his hair is thicker and it has more younger. color. And why are we breaking down hair? Why am I getting sucked <laughs> into this? I resent myself right now. <laughs> this is, who looks more like Tom Petty? 
Trevor Lawrence <laughs> or Greg Popovich? <laughs> so should I send out a tweet with the Popovich's hair tonight and say, let's pick up where we left off? Because I must have gotten, I don't know, 50 to 100 gifts and likes and retweets. and I mean, people got into the Popovich hair discussion during the game Monday because it wasn't very competitive. Yeah, but irregardless, uh, let's harken back to the early days. PK, people want to have fun when they're driving to work. That's PK, a true story. want to have fun. They don't be do. so argumentative with me. <laughs> they they want to have fun. They do want to have fun. Fun. And the hair conversation is fun. <laughs> yes, it is. People had a good time. I mean, the gifts of Tales of the Crypt and the Lord of the Rings. And I mean, it just went on and on. Uh, Hunger Games. A lot of people went to the Hunger Games with Pop's hair. Um, so we'll see where they go tonight. If he plays the guitar, I really believe he could go on to- a tour with Crosby Stills. <laughs> <laughs> he can wear his hair in a ponytail as long as the Jazz win tonight. That's the other thing we've hit this morning here. There are seven games left in the season with the Suns' overtime win in Cleveland there in a dead heat. The Suns are going to go back-to-back and play in Atlanta tonight. Atlanta's 22-10 and 10 since their coaching change, something like that. Uh, they are a much, much better team under Nate McMillan. They are now fifth in the East. And if they beat the Suns tonight, the Jazz could be up by a game if they take care of business. So whether they win by 1, 11, or 21, whether Pop's hair is in a man bun like Ricky Rubio, or whether he's shaved it all and he's a golden domer tonight, whatever, can the Jazz get the win and take the lead on the Suns? Well, I think if the Suns win tonight, they're probably going to win the, the conference. This, is, this would be a great win for them. Uh, Hawks are decent, assuming they got everybody and everybody plays. You Let's just assume, don't know right. from the, the, the NBA and guys playing. It's like the transfer portal. If you don't follow it every day, you're behind. <laughs> it's just guys are transferring all the time and are putting their name in anyway. And the same thing with uh, NBA guys sit from game to game. I can't keep track, but we don't know if LeBron's going to be back for that Sunday game with the Lakers. He's out Thursday, Friday. So will he play Sunday? How many minutes will he play? How well will he play? That game looks difficult on paper, but to what you're saying here about guys missing games, that game may not be that difficult for the Suns at all. No, it may not be. I think the Lakers are going to do just enough not to finish uh, seventh. I'm not sure they have a whole lot of care as long as they're healthy. About fifth or uh, sixth. From four, I would say four, five, six. Well, they're not getting to four. It's too late for that now. Right. So, okay, fine. It's so, five, six, seven, and your point is they don't care if they're five or six. They just don't want to be seven because right. they want the time off. They don't want to have to play another game or two. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for them to play that in that situation. So they're going to do whatever they do, and they're going to map that out to make sure that they're in that spot. And There's probably not a whole lot of difference between five and six either way. Uh, I mean, I realize the brackets change, but for them, they feel like if they're healthy, they're going to be very confident to win it all, and good for them. I don't have any problem with that. But if Phoenix gets this win, I think they might be difficult to overtake. But at the same time, I'm perfectly comfortable with the Jazz being two and healthy. And I, I think a lot of people say, well, they were first place since uh, the beginning of February. Yeah, and they probably would have been first place, too, if they hadn't had two starting guards go out. So it's easy to understand. It's not like it's a big psychological blow. Oh, wow, they really gagged at the end. They didn't finish first. No, I think we'll point to the reason why they didn't finish first because their starting guards were out for three or four weeks or whatever it might end up being. Right? Isn't that an easy explanation? 
It is an easy explanation, and I think it largely holds true, especially if the Jazz really compete with the Suns down the stretch. And, you know, if the final margin ends up being four games, it's hard to rationalize, but they're tied with right, seven right. games to go, so it seems right. like the margin's going to be a game or two, regardless of which team is one and which team is two. And we don't okay. know. And I, I think you're right about the Lakers don't care about five and six, in part because they just don't care, but also because, well, they don't know who's going to be three and four, so why would you try to engineer it when you don't know if you get the Nuggets or the Clippers because you don't know which order they're going to finish in? So there's a whole lot of hey, let's get healthy and just throw your hands up in the air and not worry about the rest of it. Yeah, and let the Suns extend themselves getting it. Don't we all in the back of our mind wonder all these minutes Chris Paul is playing and all the times he's had injuries? He was injured in the Jazz Clippers series that had Gordon Hayward and Joe Johnson the first time they went to the playoffs in the Quinn Snyder era. He was hurt. He was hurt in the Houston series uh, when he was with the year is with Houston and Houston and Golden State um, were going right down to the wire and he got hurt. He just gave an interview where he talked about that. Oh yeah, that series or all of the injuries? Uh, No, all of it. Not 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 any individual. He talked about how has he how he has had some untimely, obviously postseason injuries, and it's true he has. Well, in that case, well, you know, are, are the Jazz, I guess it comes down to, um, are the Jazz, oh, I just Googled it, Chris Paul what? breaks his third metacarpal as his hand gets stuck in a jersey. That's freaky. Yeah. That is just, that is such a weird, weird way to get it. Oh, I don't think he's a lightweight or dogging it. It was a hamstring with the, uh, with the Rockets. It anyway, it's, it's just, are the Jazz and the Suns, going to get to the conference final and play each other? Are they both going to end up there? Because that's when the one-two thing will really matter, and I don't think any of us can guarantee that based on the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. I'm like with Shanahan. I can't even guarantee I'll be alive Sunday. Oh, that quote's not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) That was a good one right there. And he could have just said yes, and Garoppolo's still with the team. But he didn't want to say yes because he didn't know about draft day trades. So, All right, DJ and PK... When we come back, your feedback. You're hitting us up on Twitter and on Facebook. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. PK, I totally agree with you about the sports fire points. That is a really cool way to say it, by the way. You're a stud. And uh, I love the fire points, too. And even in baseball. I agree with you. Too bad they happen only once every 22 games. If you open up that can of worms about allowing fans and not allowing fans in attendance, then you're opening up the can of worms about big market versus small market. Finally, a small market team gets an advantage. Screw you, NBA. Oh, I think the Jazz should get a two-point spot uh, for every one million of population that the team has more than them. Ooh, wah, no! Play the games! Bring the fans! Let's go! <laughs> Join Hans and G Friday at the warehouse from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Question of the morning. Is Rudy Gobert getting the credit he deserves? Eric says, can the cover of Forbes and being the highest paid French athlete be considered as credit? Yes. Nationally, Molly gives us Danny DeVito the shake of the head. No, 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 <laughs> Danny no. DeVito. Danny DeVito. Oh, it's a great gift. It's a great one. It's uh, it's awesome. 
Uh, and Cam sends this uh, Simon Cowell. It's a no from me. The judge of all judges. Gage says locally, close. Nationally, not even. Slightly. Hmm. A little extreme. Simply put, no. He's not getting the credit. Uh, Brendan says, without Rudy, the Jazz would be a fringe playoff team. He is the X factor that makes us a contender. I hope we never find out. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the playoffs are now all the way down to 10th. I don't know. I guess it depends on if you're saying 10th or 8th, old school or 6th. I don't know. I don't know how you're defining playoff these days. Suddenly even that isn't clear. Uh, yeah, could I see I them 6th think... in the West without Rudy? Yeah, I could. If that's where you're defining I could see that. But I don't think 6th in the West is a fringe playoff team. Usually the 6th place team, certainly in the West, yeah. is a pretty good team. I think the way we're going to look at the playoffs now is the way we look at the play-in games in college. Yeah, you were in. Technically, you're in. I'll give it to you. But, but if you don't play a 7-gamer, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be in the field of 64, and you got to be in the 8. Yes. Uh, we got more people weighing in here. Um, Rudy is a top 10 player in about 27 categories right now. He's a top 5 NBA player in terms of impact and value. But he won't be all NBA first team, and he won't finish in the top 5 in the MVP voting. So under that, you would have to say no then. I don't think he'll be first team all NBA. I think that'll go to Jokic, certainly, and probably Embiid would be second. Uh, and I'm not sure, am I missing anybody? Is there anybody else who would be contending for uh, third team with Rudy at the center spot? Am I missing somebody off the top of my head? Oh, uh, there are multiple guys who seem to switch between the four and the five, so I guess it depends on how they get listed. You know, I mean, Steve Cleveland always says AD has to play the five, and obviously he's playing the four because otherwise Steve wouldn't be saying he's got to play the five, you know. Oh, so you've got sure, those missing guys. 30 games this year, he's not going to get anything. Uh, that, that's true. Too many uh, games you off, missed. Off your recollection of the Koopa Loop and how the alley-oop to Koopa Loop was great, and now you look forward to the alley-oops to uh, Rudy Gobert. Brent says, so the Lakers had the Koopa Loop. Do the Jazz have the Gobble-Lob? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's decent. <laughs> I like that. I'm using that one. Gobble-Lob. Gobble-Lob! <laughs> Uh, I've lost it in here, but there's a guy who says he can vouch for you at the gym in the morning. He's seen you uh, hitting the elliptical with fury. I can't. I can't find the yeah, tweet. But, uh, I mean, people pick at the dumbest things, I know, man. Right? <laughs> I, know. I mean, I one guy just getting on me about uh, what's the product for men or something uh, for your hair color. Uh, oh, really? I, I got fired for TV, so I don't do it anymore. But. Uh, yeah, I don't. My it's a little hair harsh. is my hair. Um, Clint says, can we talk about how David DJ James has Lego hair? All right, I could worry about my hair, but then <laughs> then you'd criticize me. Oh, he's a TV guy, so I was worried about his hair. Why do you have Lego hair? I don't. When I think of you, I don't think of your hair. Let's talk a little football here. You Chasta Trailer tweets at us. I think a secondary question behind how Zach Wilson handles criticism by the New York media, is how Lisa handles them criticizing Zach. That could be a bigger circus. As Rich Eisen said, quote, did they draft the next Broadway Joe or Stifler and his mom? 
Okay, the Stifler's mom thing, which I've seen out there, mm-hmm. I would be hard-pressed to explain how uncomfortable I am with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's a character, and she does the thing at the treehouse, and I've had several people tell me as recently as yesterday, oh, yeah, I've spoken to her. But she's been outgoing long before Zach came into public view. That's just the way the lady is. But the Stifler's mom thing, if I you really know the think theme, that close crosses the line. If you know the movie plot, uh, yeah, we don't really want to talk about it. If you want to talk about her being outgoing and enthusiastic, I'm all for it. Because as I understand it, I've never spoken to the lady, but as I understand it from people, she's been that way for many years. We are out of time. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty. Stay with us on the Zone Sports Network.